Hello. Why don't you want to talk to me? Who is this? You tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. <laughs> I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You're making popcorn? Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Oh, just some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? Um, Halloween. You know, the one with the guy in the white mask who walks around and stalks babysitters? Yeah. What's yours? Guess. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Is that the one where the guy had knives for fingers? Yeah, Freddy Krueger. Freddy, that's right. I like that movie. It was scary. Well, well, the first one was, but the rest sucked. So, you got a boyfriend? <laughs> Why, you want to ask me out on a date? Maybe. Do you have a boyfriend? Mm. No. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. What did you say? I want to know who I'm talking to. That's not what you said. What do you think I said? Look, I gotta go. Wait, I thought we were gonna go out. Uh, nah, I don't think so. Don't hang up on me. Shit. Yes? I told you not to hang up on me. What do you want? To talk. Well, dial someone else, okay? away from calling the police. They'd never make it in time. We're out in the middle of nowhere. What do you want? To see what your insides look like. Oh, you want to play psycho killer? Can I be the helpless victim? Okay, let's see. No, please don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. I want to be in the sequel. I like to dissect girls. Did you know I'm utterly insane? Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. I am the eater of wolves and of children. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare.
Hello, everyone, and welcome to an unexpected edition of the holy shit greatest October. What? What? In the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. This is episode number 192, Scream. We need those morning zoo sound effects. Of... <laughs> As if 2020 couldn't get any more wild. We've decided to blow out the greatest October into nine That's right. episodes, leading all the way up to episode number 200, which yeah. we hope to drop on October 31st, and as long as nothing is derailed between sure. now and then. I would say it's definitely a holy shit list that you've put together. It's going to be a wild time. This is catching everybody by surprise, hopefully. Greatest October starting labor day weekend that's right i've backed off my promotion of greatest october this year in preparation that's right (laughs) yeah i don't want people to think that we're doing this because of covid19 or the two month or so break we had to take i did run this by matt like last october (laughs) i was like running through a list of movies and i was saying uh, sat at an eaton park probably let's do this no i think we were actually at the movie theater before a movie (laughs) and you were like looking at this list or i was telling you this list and you're like well what would we do for for the next october October? and i was like well don't worry about it (laughs) you got to treat everyone like it's your last yes and so it just so happened that all of this crazy shit happened this year so this is like a nice surprise anyway but this has been in the works for a while we've been planning to do it hopefully you'll be excited by our choices for this mega holy shit October as opposed to disappointed like you were for one trashy summer (laughs) yeah these are a little bit more mainstream I would consider most of these choices to be big deal horror movies heavy hitters I did notice that Shudder was doing like a 61 days of horror starting September 1st so we're not alone in this idea other people are jumping on the September is Halloween season bandwagon. I know. The air is starting to cool just slightly, and I, I'm so ready for it. You get to that point of just the, the heat, the summer heat, and you're just like, please, just cool down. For some of us, including myself, I think horror movies are just a great anytime kind of a thing. Recently, I've been throwing on some random Friday the 13th. Wow. I think I'm going to start watching some random Phantasm movies as well. You love the vibe, you love the feel associated with this time of the year, though, in horror movies. As the weather turns, there's just something perfect. You know, you light a few candles. Leaves are changing. Yeah, go go on a little bit of a scream marathon. Reese's peanut butter cups in the freezer. Right. So anyway, this is going to be a big two months leading up to our huge episode number 200. You can follow our show on Twitter at GreatestPod. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Podbean. Tell your friends. Give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Spread the word. We're doing this out of the love of our hearts. (laughs) (laughs) If anything, we're negative hundreds of dollars in the hole at this point. We don't make a red cent from this. That's true. This is all a labor of love. Yeah. Questionable at times, but we power through. We just enjoy talking about movies. That's true. We love movies. And really how cool movies used to be. (laughs) (laughs) So for me, Scream is a big one. 
Yeah, well, we talked about it a little bit, just very briefly on the, the trailers. Give us a second that we did, just because I can just remember the TV spots for this. Flashback to 96, you know, I'm nine years old. <laughs> and I think it's, it's one of my last memories of really having, like, a babysitter around, because, you know, I had two younger sisters, so I was the oldest, and then we were kind of crossing over to that time period where my parents were fine just leaving us with me being like the responsible one but i do remember like these tv spots being on and the teenage babysitter girl that i had this coming on and her being like oh i can't wait to see this and i'd be like what this looks like so horrifying <laughs> like i was like scared of the trailer although i do remember also coming of age it's like i feel like i can remember the fact that you could see rose mcgowan's nipples like in the trailer <laughs> through her shirt you know what i mean it was a, you were nine years old it, it was a formative time for me yeah i'm sure it was a formative time for a lot of people yeah. <laughs> on the bonus features on like the four disc blu-ray set for the original trilogy where it has like the two documentaries about scream and the scream franchise on the one of them they spend like five to six minutes talking about her nipples <laughs> including her well that's the thing everybody the knows talking yeah it was hard not to talk about yeah people love nipping hard in the 90s aniston and cox on friends and that's of right. course courtney cox in this movie although she doesn't really nip and scream Going back and watching this, just speaking of Courtney Cox, it's just like, man, Courtney Cox is a babe. And I feel like she was just, <laughs> I just feel like she was always overshadowed as not being that hot because she like shared the stage with Jennifer Aniston, who's just one of the all time greats. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't love that Kudrow's left out in the cold. I, that's true. I agree. I, listen, I have an appreciation for uh, Lisa as well. Scream came out in 1996, December of 96, actually. It was wow. written by Kevin Williamson and directed by horror master Wes Craven. And Kevin Williamson just went on to like take over the late 90s. Was this sort of his first thing? That this was his breakout. Okay. He was probably, like what, two years away from Dawson's Creek. That's right. He also wrote a few Lois... Duncan, I think is her name, adaptations, right? Yeah. I know what you did last right. summer. And Teaching Mrs. Tingle, which was based off of like Killing Mr. Griffith or something. Yeah, he really brought the teens uh, Some of his stuff was map. good. Some of it yeah. was The Faculty, which is not great. Sure, but he's, he definitely was capturing something that it caught on at the time. Scream stars David Arquette, Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, Matthew Lillard, Rose McGowan, Skeet Ulrich, Drew Barrymore, and Jamie Kennedy, amongst others. A budget of $15 million and a total box office haul of $173 million. It was the highest grossing slasher film until Halloween 2018. Oh, wow. And it is still the highest in adjusted dollars because now... This movie's 24 years old. It's actually closer to $300 million in today dollars. It's yeah. like 280-something. We were talking a little bit about it off mic, and I'm sure you have notes about this, but it, it is kind of famous for uh, revitalizing the horror genre. But for me, I, I really had no gauge or memory. Well, you were horror. nine. Right, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> so it's like this movie comes out, it doesn't have that feeling for me. Like I have no feeling associated with it except like this looks scary from the trailer. <laughs> By December of 1996, horror was deader than dead. Straight to video, endless sequels, it was truly relegated to the fringe of the movie industry. And then along comes Scream, 
which was written by a relative newcomer with a love of movies and a lot to prove. And it ends up being directed by an icon in the genre who initially refused it. Scream combines black comedy and a bloody murder mystery whodunit, which works within the slasher genre while at the same time satirizing it. Yeah, that's true. Never has there been a comedy with so much violence and gore. It borrows from Halloween, Friday the 13th, and A Nightmare on Elm Street, which Craven directed and which we've already done on this show, while also being inhabited by characters who are very much aware of these real-world horror films, openly discussing the cliches Scream attempts to subvert at the same time. That's right. It's kind of hard to explain it now to people who are younger, and have had 24 years of movies since Scream, but this sure. was so fresh and unique at the time, and it really captured the oh. cultural zeitgeist. It's so endlessly entertaining, I would say. I really thought they did a good job of like making a horror movie with so many other fun things to take out of it. Like The dialogue is fun. All the action sequences are fun. There's certainly some things that I think they could have done differently, but for the most part, I mean, I just think this is like a great movie. It's like a tightrope act of somehow not fucking this up. Yeah, like, because. Because on paper, this could have turned into a disaster real quick. They are like flirting with. You're changing tones a lot. Yes. (laughs) So they do nail it for the most part. Yeah, and I think it's because they just committed as if it was dead serious while still incorporating the black comedy into it yeah like even they didn't they never wink at the camera even though the movie itself kind of feels like it is yeah yeah. but the characters aren't randy calling out things exactly as they are like don't do this or this is going to happen but then they do the thing and it's still actually effective even though he's calling (laughs) it out yeah even when nev campbell gets the first call from the killer and she's talking about like a big-breasted girl who right. should be running out the door when she's running up the stairs. And then five seconds later, here she is, a big-breasted girl who can't get out the front door and then just immediately runs up the stairs. <laughs> she just does exactly <laughs> right, what yeah. she just said. And yet you still kind of just roll with it, and it all works. And that's probably because of Craven, who had a lot of experience. This movie is stuffed to the gills with references mentions name checks homages where it's not directly mentioned reimaginings etc etc to a million other movies and that's why it is one of the movies that kind of keeps on giving over time because when i probably watched this for the first time in the late 90s maybe early 2000s i certainly wasn't getting all that you could get out of it even on this watch there's still little gems in there that maybe i didn't see something or I just didn't notice what it was referencing before, or even picking up on the musical cues. So, that, yeah, it is packed full of little nuggets for all uh, cinephiles. <laughs> Scream was a complete revitalization of the horror genre. We did, I know what you did last summer, last year on the show, that was, of course, a clone of Scream. Yeah, but I also think endlessly fun. Yeah, we debated the intention of the comedy a little bit. I think it's, like, not intentionally is funny but who knows i don't know if you could have guessed when you were doing casting that like ryan Philippe was going to scream the entire movie but it happens and it makes it hilarious yeah well and the funny thing about that is like when i was younger and watching that movie i was just taking his character at like complete face value and like didn't even think anything was weird 
Even yeah, though well, he's I, like, I think that's what you do when you're a kid. You just sort of buy it, and you're like, oh, this is how yeah, people act. Right. <laughs> and now when you're watching it, you're he's laughing like, at everything he shit, does. Holy shit, he's grabbing Jennifer Love Hewitt by her throat <laughs> and like choking the shit out of her. Yeah, and it, it lacked the references and the in-jokes and all of the stuff that Scream has, but it's still I'll entertaining. What, though, go back to that first season of Dawson's Creek. You see all this stuff. Those first few episodes, everything is just like packed with pop culture references and movie right. references. It wasn't all Kevin Williamson, though. There was Urban Legend. There was Final Destination. There was a million teen horror uh, yes, movies. Yes, definitely. It, it, it took off. It became a whole thing. And then it gave it a chance to bring back Halloween with H2O. That's and it right. it brought back Freddy and Jason in Freddy vs. Jason. Like It sort of just brought horror back to the mainstream. H2O. Like Even Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake was only like... Seven oh, years true. later, yeah. it was all in that decade following. Scream. It was really like an endless run after this. I mean, horror just kept going again. Yeah, and you can we also to... credit the Blair Witch Project, which was '99, sure. and there were some other things along the way that sort of always would give it that boost. We had to go through that run where, like the like the Asian horror movies were like inspiring the American remakes, like The Ring and The Grudge. Yeah, yeah. but horror was back because of Scream. Initially, Kevin Williamson called the film in his script scary movie believe it or not <laughs> right which is funny and it was there is a parody basically mostly of scream it wasn't until towards the end of production that bob weinstein and yes this is another weinstein movie just like clerks Somehow. <laughs> i don't feel like we have to address it every time we know we yeah. get it <laughs> next week on the show we'll be doing a woody allen movie and then roman polanski right after that <laughs> They suggested that it probably needed a new title, and both Williamson and Craven were not in support of that, and whenever they said it was going to be called Scream, they both were like, no, and then later realized what a great call it was, because if it was called Scary Movie, it would have never turned into a franchise. It just wouldn't have. I don't think it would have been a hit, honestly. Maybe it's just because I have this association with the movie Scary Movie actually existing, but... I don't know. To hear it, it just, like, Scream seems like the way better title, and it's not even close. Plus, it also plays up the fact that it's a horror movie and a comedy, because right. you can call things a scream. Well, that's if it's, true. If it's funny yes. and stuff. But it was actually named after that Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson duet song they did together called Scream, which is oh. around, like, 95 or 96. I always just assumed it was just the fact that it's a Matthew Lillard part of a line that he says in the movie. Kind of emphatically, too. Well, that might have been added in later. I'm not sure. Well, that's true. Williamson was inspired by the Gainesville Ripper, who was a real-life serial killer who killed a bunch of people in Florida. That's a shame. College students. He got kind of afraid while he was renting a house, thinking about the idea of someone breaking in and being able to kill him. Not really like the most original concept, but it turned into something fun. Okay. Just like last week, the MPAA also involved in this movie and this time the MPA did win out and a lot of gore and blood was removed from the cut that everybody has seen it is violent I don't know that they've ever released an unrated cut of this movie one of the things for example would be like the opening with the boyfriend Steve oh yeah in the original cut his like intestines like actually like plop out of him and land on the ground yeah and well, it's they, definitely still implied yeah but you don't actually see them right. fall out of him and onto the ground they're already like gone yeah 
and there's like more blood and a, there's you know it's minor shit really but this is a situation where they just couldn't really win and they had to cut stuff out and they still were getting an nc-17 until bob weinstein had a meeting with the mpa and basically like insisted that it's a comedy oh wow and they you guys just don't get it they caved and the version that you see is rated r now but even the version that they did come out with was originally still getting an nc-17 even though they had cut some stuff out it's always a battle it's always a battle i think now it's hard to imagine violence being enough but i will say though i I don't know it just depends yeah sometimes it's just unexpectedly gross i guess and that well it's also about context too because the gore in Saving Private Ryan falls under the historical, historical context, whereas this is just like teenagers gutting each other, so it's kind of yeah. hard to justify the purpose of it, I It guess. is wild. I mean, when you think about, like, hey, this dude is somebody I go to high school with, and I am willing to cut him open and see his guts on the floor. I think it takes your mind to a whole other level of fucked up. Craven famously had written and directed a nightmare on elm street the original and we talked about it on the show where after the first one he didn't really want to be involved with it it goes on to be this franchise with tons of entries and after that i think he was always searching for that replacement of being like man i missed out on a lot of money here and it took like a lot for New Line Cinema to even ever pay him money that he was probably owed for the whole thing in general. And he unsuccessfully tried to launch a franchise with the movie Shocker, which was a notorious bomb. Oh, boy. And I've never seen it, but I've heard it's terrible. And he sort of lucked into this because, like I said, he didn't want to do it originally. And I wonder then, what he was up to or, or what he thought he was going to do. He'd been trying to get away from horror forever. Okay did like music of the heart and he did like a segment of jetem perry or whatever that is Oh, that's right yeah but those are really his only times where he didn't do horror because it just never really panned out for him sure and so he ends up doing this it turns into a franchise craven directed scream one through four that's right passed away in 2015 scream four was the last movie he directed so he did get his franchise eventually that's true it is a long story with a happy ending. So before we jump into it, let's just cover very briefly the controversies. First of all, the Weinsteins are involved in this movie. Rose McGowan is in this movie. I think we all know the history there. I don't know if we really need to bring it <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah, I mean... It's a shame. Really. Not much <laughs> else to say there. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we can't really say anything other than Harvey Weinstein's in jail now, so... What's the point of really rehashing this all? We all know what happened. It sucks. I guess so, yeah. It sucks because Rose was seemingly poised to be a big star. She had a couple of high-profile movies, including Jawbreaker, After Scream. But her last like major thing was like Grindhouse, and that didn't really work out. I mean, it wasn't a hit. Yeah. Besides the Weinstein's involvement, the other main controversy, of course, is the copycat crimes in real life that would happen. Yeah. I guess this was right out of the time when this was the hottest media thing to do, though, too, is, like, blame movies and video games and music, right? Like, Yeah, there were some times where era. some kids bought the masks and the voice changers and then would stab people. Sure, sure. It but did happen. But obviously, uh, anyone who would go to those lengths, I think 
their issues are, are much more deeply seated. Than, yeah, I agree uh, with you as well. And the movie agrees with us by having that line <laughs> at the end of the movie delivered by Billy Loomis where movies don't make yeah. psychopaths. They make psychopaths more creative. Sure. And I mean, we definitely still live in a time where this is something that could draw criticism and be like, okay, well, this movie inspires this or whatever. But I do feel like that late 90s period was really... Yeah, for sure. And when we get to the end of the yeah. movie, I do want to bring up Columbine because in a weird way, I I feel like what happens in this movie almost unintentionally mirrors okay. it because yeah. there's this weird I get it. Yep. I like relationship yeah. between the two. Yep. It, it, I don't know if you've ever seen Elephant. I have, yes. The Gus, Gus Van, Van Sant Sant movie. movie. It yeah. also kind of feels like that a little bit. A lot of people have had some speculations <laughs> about what we're supposed to read into the two characters. Sure. I don't know for sure, but we can talk about it. But yeah, I I think these people were going to probably do something anyway. It just sort of changed how. Right. I never really buy into it that somebody is just normal and then all of a sudden becomes a murderer because, because of, of seeing something I in know. a movie. Right. I just don't really buy it. I think there's some uh, flags that need to be flipped well in advance of that to even get someone to that stage where they could do something like that. I mean, it just seems wild that someone would see a movie and be like i'm going to completely change and be willing to perform some horrific act that i would never have done before this movie for me scream has one of the great opening sequences ever and not just in horror films the ballad of poor casey becker played by drew barrymore and i just want to say i mean it never loses its pizzazz for me i know and the whole thing is like an homage really to when a stranger calls it's not even like this is the first time that horror had done something with phones yeah and like a mystery caller and all this stuff and yet it's so effective and well done and it also introduces you to like the tone of this movie the whole conversation they're talking about horror movies specific characters from horror movies what happens in those movies and the killer himself even gives you like a couple of rules like oh yeah don't you know don't ever say who's there and all this stuff and before we actually talk about the scene let's talk 1996 drew barrymore okay didn't know who she was (laughs) (laughs) that's shocking she was in et yeah so i had seen (laughs) et and i knew that there was a girl in it didn't know that her name was drew barrymore you know so you're saying you saw scream before you saw the wedding singer because i probably saw the wedding singer before i ever saw scream no i'm just saying that when scream came out i didn't know who drew barrymore was by the time i saw scream i knew who drew barrymore was but like but i'm just saying like when it's coming out it's like she's the biggest star in it and i knew who nev campbell was i had watched party of five (laughs) you know so she Nev Campbell. I always feel like I'm on the verge of a Party of Five run. I know. These days. Like, I could just jump right in right now. Listen, Jennifer Love Hewitt, Nev Campbell. I mean, come on. (laughs) Drew was originally going to play Sydney, the lead, which is one of the things that initially swayed Craven to want to change his mind and do Scream. Yeah. As I mentioned, he had turned it down. I can definitely picture that version of Scream, like, with her. In that yeah. Role. It just doesn't have. Then, if it's a nobody in the opening scene, though, it, it loses a little something. We talked about Poison Ivy on this show. It's one of my favorite episodes of ours, actually. <laughs> so we're familiar with Drew from this era, sure. Her, but 
Poison Ivy is definitely like a B movie. She's headed in sort of a weird direction. She plays Amy Fisher in Long Island Lolita. The writing's on the wall as to like what type of movie she's in. But <laughs> leading into Scream by the end of 96, she was in Batman Forever, Boys mm-hmm. on the Side, Bad Girls. She was starting to be back on the upswing, and she was totally marketed as the lead of this movie. So yeah. when she changes her mind and wants to be Casey instead, it's a huge shakeup, and it leaves them scrambling to cast the lead, Sydney. but yeah. I, it you, turns into a brilliant idea that no one sees coming. I can't help but feeling like, and maybe this didn't impact it at all, but I, I would feel like she's going to be paid less to be the Casey role. I mean, it's definitely yeah, significantly less lines and less days shooting. Yeah, the stuff I was watching never got into her reasoning. I feel like she might have just got cold feet about doing a horror movie That's at possible. that stage of her career. Yeah. And so she thought, like, I don't really want to do this, but I can't just back out completely. Although it is crazy because the opening sequence is the goriest shit in the entire movie. I know. So I feel like you're in for a penny, in for a pound if you're doing this sequence. Uh, That is true. And I mean, you talk about the violence in the MPAA, but you're not expecting to see someone hanging from a tree with like their intestines hanging out. That was (laughs) like a shock for me. (laughs) Yeah. I do think that she's able to pull off this scene maybe in a way that like a lot of other actresses who would... Yeah. only be brought in for a couple of days of Absolutely. shooting wouldn't be able to. I definitely think she is great in this scene. So it works to have a more seasoned actress. Yeah. Well, I think and she actually general. has to flex some acting muscles in it outside of just the thrills of being scared cuz I feel like she's great in the moments like approaching her death and stuff when she's on the phone with And she's flirty at the beginning yeah, and yeah. fun. But also the most important thing is If the audience in 1996 in the theater or the next year or two on home video, if they know who Drew Barrymore is, then they already have a connection that doesn't need to be established. Because a lot of times in a movie like this, you would cast a good looking girl and maybe she'd be a great actress too. But a lot of name brand stars aren't going to take a role this small. So you don't have as much of an emotional connection with the character right off the bat. Sure. So if you know who Drew is, you instantly have this connection with this character. You don't need as much backstory. You don't need as much time. And so it ups the effectiveness of the scene. Definitely. You're already sucked into the drama and the horror of the scene. Yeah. Okay, so this is the part where we're 30 minutes into the episode and you say, so the movie opens up. So the movie opens up. With a young, beautiful girl home alone at night receiving a phone call from an unknown person. And, of course, this is the perfect setup. doesn't really take a genius to come up with something like this, but it takes intelligence to make it effective. Yeah, and good execution. Yeah, the execution has to be good. The call is a wrong number, supposedly, at first. The tone is very flirtatious. Yeah. The voice on the other end flirtatious well, at first there's definitely some things implied here that are interesting with the whole her not really saying that she has a boyfriend mm-hmm. like kind of implying that she's kind of into this at first yeah <laughs> so that's interesting i have a question have you ever had or made popcorn this way with one of those things no yeah me neither my parents sometimes will get like the loose bag of Okay. Kernels and put them in like a 
pot and I make see. them that way because they do taste like a little different from like the bags. I think I have only ever had the bags. Yeah, well, I have two up until probably I don't know. My parents started doing that like recently. Oh wow, that's why. like a re- that was like a COVID hobby. No, not that recent, but <laughs> like recent years. Yeah, she does hang up several times. It's just repeated calls and. The voice on the other end refuses to say who they are. And pretty early on, he asks the iconic question, what's your favorite scary movie? And that's the direction of the conversation. Kind of sets the the tone for the whole movie, I would say. They're talking about movies by name. They're mentioning the famous killers or monsters from those movies. There's the Nightmare on Elm Street gag where she says the first one is good and all the other ones sucked because oh, Wes right. Craven didn't yeah. have anything to do with the other ones. Although I do think Dream Warriors is awesome, <laughs> the third one. <laughs> yeah. And I think there is like a little bit of an homage to Dream Warriors in this later. But everything sort of turns when she won't say what her name is and she wants to know why he wants to know. And he says, I want to know who I'm looking at. And as an audience, we just have to assume that what the voice on the other end is saying is like an accurate thing. Yeah. Because we're in a horror movie. We're like, oh shit. You know, if this was real life, you might be like, fuck you. I don't buy it. I'm not buying what you're saying. Sure. But like, it's a movie. As the audience, we're like, okay, this is fucked up. He's looking at her. Definitely. And I I would definitely say that things that have effectively creeped me out throughout my life is that thought of someone being there when you wouldn't expect them to be. Casey has this rising panic as she's sort of making her way through the house, there's so many doors to lock. Dude, well, this is another thing I was thinking about. Well, like, first of all, Woodsboro seems like a beautiful place to live. They all have these like huge houses out in the country or whatever, out away from town, sprawling like surrounding porches. It definitely seems like there's some some nice uh, quality of life in this area. She keeps hanging up, and then he keeps calling back. And I do have to wonder why does she keep answering? That's true. Yeah, <laughs> she answers. Every time, no matter how crazy it gets. I would probably just, like, disconnect the phone. (laughs) At one point, the doorbell does ring, so, I mean, she knows that there's someone around. Sure. And then it takes the ultimate turn for the worse whenever the voice on the other end says that he wants to see what her insides look like. Yeah, that is sort of like a shocking thing to say to someone. There's effective fear building. The doorbell rings. Casey's crying now. Yep. Caller references things you shouldn't do as a character in a scary movie and this is the spin on the slasher genre is this awareness of all the characters throughout it and they reference the idea as if they know they're in a movie which is it's not the most difficult thing to pull off ever but it it could go wrong for sure Sure. it could come off as like ridiculous you have to strike that balance of like characters saying shit like that occasionally you can't be like heavy-handed with it because then you're insulting the audience a little bit too much. Yeah, no, I'm. they do it perfectly. I'm 100% in. I, I never flounder on this. I, I think it's well-placed when they do it. Let's talk about the voice. So the voice on the phone in the times where the killer speaks to Casey and the times where the killer speaks over the phone to Sydney later are done by voice actor Roger Jackson. The reason why this is interesting to point out is instead of Drew or Nev talking to a recording or to nobody, which would be a lot of how movies work, he was on set in a place where they couldn't see him. They never saw what he looked like. Oh, wow. And he was talking to them on a phone. Okay. 
so they're actually recording it live talking to each other which is a little different and it, it helps i think them get into it yeah i think it's effective because i do think that the voice is creepy yeah, I've heard some criticism of The Voice saying that it's a little too douchey, but I think that that works. I think when it's softer, it's better. I think when he gets angry, <laughs> which happens sometimes, it can come off a little bit cheesier, but I, yeah, overall, I'm in on it. When you find out what the real story is and who's doing it and what their motives are and all that stuff, I think it works. I don't well, think you want it to be like a monster voice yeah. or too crazy because then it's like, what are we doing here? Because this is not a supernatural horror movie, which for some people is scarier. I think there's some I, people I, that prefer like witches and monsters and werewolves or whatever. And then there's some people who think that like, well, that shit is definitely fake. So isn't yeah. it scarier to think that your peers could want to do this? Well, I always like when the villain can be defeated <laughs> when oh yeah you know. and everybody gets their fucking shots in there's times oh, in this yeah. where you're thinking like i don't know why don't they just beat the shit out of this dude it seems like they can right <laughs> it happens a <laughs> i few know times. and that is funny that is kind of fun throughout and it carries on throughout the scream series like that the attack scenes are so choppy like it, it never really works out as expected they turn into like these sprawling like fight sequences yeah, they're not like Jason Voorhees where you're not right. like landing any punches. Like yeah, yeah. people are getting their shots in because it's supposed to be a real person. Yeah, yeah. Casey brings up her boyfriend Steve. Unfortunately for Steve, he's already been drawn into this, as we're gonna find out here. He's yeah. Steve probably had high aspirations for the night because of heading well, over to I his never girlfriend's could house. Quite figure out what the around. plan was. Because well, her parents get back here. Was he coming over anyway, or? She says that at one point, but then she also acts like she doesn't have a boyfriend. I don't know. Like, okay, yeah. Did I they just I, bring him over, or was he coming over? I guess I, I always took it that he really was coming over. But that makes sense. But I was never really sure. Yeah, that. I mean, you pointed out because we don't know, and she very well could have just been saying it. And when you find out that these two dudes, you know, have a connection, <laughs> the the killers, then you can buy either way. Steve's wearing a Letterman jacket, and he's been duct taped to a chair out on the patio, and the caller wants to play a game. Look, you've had your fun now, so I think you better just leave or else. Or else what? Or else my boyfriend will be here any second, and he'll be pissed when he finds out. I thought you didn't have a boyfriend. I lied. I do have a boyfriend, and he'll be here any second, so your ass better be good. Sure. I swear. He's big and he plays football and he'll kick the shit out of you! I'm getting you scared. I'm shaking in my boots. So you better just leave. His name wouldn't be Steve, would it? How do you know his name? Turn on the patio lights. Again. Turn off the light. 
You'll see what kind of game. Just do it. Here's how we play. I ask a question. If you get it right, Steve lives. Please don't do that. Come on, it'll be fun. Please. It's an easy category. Movie trivia. I'll even give you a warm-up question. Don't do this, I can't. Name the killer in Halloween. No. Come on, it's your favorite scary movie, remember? He had a white mask, he stalked the babysitters. No. Come on, yes you no. do. Please. What's his name? I can't Steve's think. counting on you. Michael. Michael. Yes! Very good. Now for the real question. No! Oh, you're doing so well. We can't stop now. Stop, leave us alone. Then answer the question. Same category. Oh, please stop. Name the killer in Friday the 13th. Jason! 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 I'm sorry. That's the wrong answer. No, it's not. No, it's not. It was Jason. Afraid not? No way. Listen, it was Jason. I saw that movie 20 goddamn times. Then you should know Jason's mother, Mrs. Voorhees, was the original killer. Jason didn't show up until the sequel. I'm afraid that was a wrong answer. You a bonus round, but poor Steve, I'm afraid he's out. So what they do is some horror trivia, aka what it's like to go on a date with Zach. That's right. <laughs> We're playing horror trivia uh, it tonight, was funny. folks. Yeah, I was watching it with Lindsay at one point, and she was just like, "So I'm sure you and Zach will be like fighting over which one is more like Randy." And I'm like, "No, I'm pretty sure like Zach knows that he's Stu and Billy." <laughs> Including the homoerotic undertones. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually pretty great. So she gets the bonus free question correct, oh, yeah. which is who's the killer in Halloween. But then he's like, now it's time for the real question, <laughs> which is funny. Which I Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like she does get the next one wrong. It's the perfect swerve. It's yeah. something that you think is right for a second, and you would definitely think it was right in this panic mode, but then you realize it is wrong. The killer in Friday the 13th is not Jason because Jason doesn't factor in until the sequel. Oh, it's well, Mrs. Well, Voorhees. Although he says he doesn't show up until the sequel, which I was like, well, that's wrong. He yeah, that's true. Pops out of the water. So, I mean, Casey should have been like fighting back. <laughs> Getting yeah, but, into like a semantics argument. But he says who's the killer, though. No, I know. But listen, <laughs> she's wrong about the answer. But I mean, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So her being wrong about the answer means that Steve is killed and it's bloody and gory and he's basically gutted. And yeah. as I mentioned, they had to cut the intestines actually, like, plopping onto the ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I said, I mean, still implied enough to the point that it kind of makes me a little bit squeamish. Casey essentially refuses to answer any more questions, and so the killer decides they're coming inside. They throw a chair through the window. She ends up sneaking outside, and I noticed those rows of, like, corn or whatever they were. And I'm like, what? where is this? I know. I know it was filmed in, like, Northern California, and I was reading online that Woodsboro is actually supposed to be in California, but when you saw Scream 4, for example, because that's the only other one that's, like, set in Woodsboro, right. because 2 is set at college, 3 is set in Hollywood. Yes. 
Did you get the feeling that Scream 4 is in California? I never felt like that. Uh, maybe only because I associate the first one with being in California. I know. It but, always feels yeah. like it's like Michigan or something. I think that might have been where they filmed Scream 4, actually. Okay. Or something. It's like outside Ann Arbor or something. But they did film Scream in California. But, yeah, she just lives like right next to those rows of corn. Yeah. <laughs> You're just like, what is this place? There's a car coming down the road we don't know who it is yet we see the killer creeping around the house while casey's on the outside and this is like what we were talking about where when it's a supernatural entity like freddy krueger or even michael myers or jason or something there always seems to be like that protection around them where we never see them really falter too much oh yeah i mean it's like what are you gonna do to jason i mean try punching him see what happens yeah and they're on a mission and they never look foolish for being on the mission but her looking in and this guy is dressed in this mask and cape and everything and they're creeping around the house with a knife but they don't know where she is right they've kind of goofed for a second where they've lost track of her because yeah, she's, yeah. she snuck outside let's talk about the mask and the costume of Ghostface. Originally, they wanted the cape and the cloak and everything to be white so it would look like a ghost. But they were like, this looks, looks like, like the, the fucking KKK. Yeah. And they're like, we can't do that. And it took them forever to settle on what the mask would look like. Yeah. And this mask did exist previous to Scream and is owned by a different company called oh. Fun World. Wow. Did which this... is why the Scream TV show used a different mask okay. in season one. I see. I think they eventually brought in the ghost face design because people were like, what the fuck? But yeah. Fun World already owned this image. It already existed. And they just went with it. And originally, Bob How Weinstein much? was like, no, it's okay. not scary. It's funny. You got to get rid of it. And he wanted like everything redone. Oh, wow. And they were like, wait, let us cut this opening sequence together and then watch it. And then he was he called them and was like, no, it's good. Never yeah. mind. <laughs> it works know. perfectly, though. Also, like, how stoked was fun world i mean this had to oh the, yeah the sales the of this stupid yeah, thing right. went through the roof <laughs> <laughs> it became an iconic mask just like the hockey mask or right. freddie's fucked up face or yeah. michael myers mask or whatever and i mean i know i first became familiar with this like i was a kid i wasn't even 10 years old yet but i was scared of it yeah it's scary but it's real, and it's something you could buy at the store, and it makes sense. It's not anything yeah. too ridiculous. And certainly, as I got older, I've always thought that this worked. I've, I've seen some of the drawings of some of the other ideas, and they're too ridiculous. They're, like, over the top. Right, okay. And you're just like, yeah, theoretically, if these were real creatures, these other masks would be scarier, but it would be silly if the masks were that crazy. I also feel like... It kind of rides the line of being generic in a way that you buy. You buy that these two dudes would just pick these things up at a store. Yeah, which I think is appropriate. Right. As Casey's sneaking around the side of the house, Ghostface sees her, crashes through the window. Casey gets her shots in, hits him with the phone. Oh, yeah. The car coming down the road turns out to be her returning parents, but the scene has spilled out into the side yard where they won't be able to see it. And the actual murder of Casey itself is so brutal. I love the choice to go into slow motion as Ghostface is chasing her down the yard and catches up to her. Yeah. They don't go to slow motion at any other point in this movie. And it's such a... It's kind of a weird stabbing Shocking move. moment. Because <laughs> he has to like grab her and then like reach around. 
the stab. Yeah, which, I mean, not that I know, like, a ton about murder, but I, that feels more real to me than, like, yeah, how perfect sloppy, it is in right? other yeah. things. Just multiple vicious stabs. He gets, like, on top of her the part- and, like, jams the into her neck. Well, I mean, yeah, he, like, crushes, wild. like, her voice box. She's all of a sudden, like, can't really articulate or make noise after that. I always thought it was an interesting choice, too, to have Casey reach up and pull the mask off. And we don't see, obviously. Right. But her expression, yeah, I there's something there. I don't know. Is I guess recognition? there's recognition, but Maybe? like, I couldn't really tell. Yeah. Her parents don't know what's going on. The popcorn that she started on the stove is on fire. The door was open. They're freaking out. The father tells the mother to go to the Mackenzie's, which is a line from Halloween where yeah. Lori tells the little kids to run to the Mackenzie's house. That's There's great. so many things like that crammed in here. Imagine what an unsettling feeling <laughs> coming back to your house. Well, yeah, and then like she picks this, up like, the phone, shit. the mom, and she hears Casey like basically being murdered. Yeah, that is horrible. Yeah, you forget. This movie's so fun and funny and just a sexy, wild romp that was really hip. But you forget how actually bloody and gory and brutal this beginning and is. fucked up, yeah. When Casey's mom goes outside, she sees that Casey's been hung in a tree. I know, just like a complete swing and a miss by dad trying to protect mom. <laughs> <laughs> like, go to the McKenzie, she, call the police. So first she has the phone thing, and then she goes outside and sees Yeah, her mom's first. getting hit with everything. Really? Casey's hanging from a tree for her parents to find her guts hanging out, and it zooms in really fast on her bloody face, which is just a crazy shot. Yeah, hard to believe this was the same girl we saw just pouncing around the house a few minutes ago. Now, see if you agree with me on this. This isn't necessarily an original idea of mine, but I subscribe 100% to this. Okay. How much better would it have been if it zooms in really fast like that, boom, scream comes up onto the screen? Okay. Why wouldn't they have saved the title card it, for right then instead does, of at the very beginning? Yeah, it, it feels like that would have been well placed there. Instead, it just cuts right to Sydney sitting at a computer, yeah. which is a jarring cut and I feel is almost a little sloppy in an otherwise immaculately done movie. I don't really get. I agree. Jumping from Drew's fucked up face and her being dead with her guts hanging out just right to Sydney sitting at her computer is. It's a little awkward. I don't yeah. know. It's It could have been better. I don't know why they didn't think to put the Scream title card right there. Yeah, but I will say the the moody feel in Sydney's room. I like the vibe that they go with here. Did you notice the acoustic cover Oh yeah, in the background? Yeah, uh, I feel like that's another reference to Halloween, which had Don't Fear the Reaper. Although, I would almost count it as a reference to the Stone That's Age. what I was going to say. <laughs> and I turned to Lindsay and said, you know, every band <laughs> puts out one song. <laughs> Next up, we meet Sydney Prescott, played by Nev Campbell. She's struggling to deal with the one-year anniversary of her mother's death at the hands of a man named Cotton Weary. So much of the first three Scream movies is centered around the wild and turbulent life of Mama Maureen Prescott. And by the third installment, it's legitimately hilarious of <laughs> how much of a slut she was. <laughs> it's something that's just pounded into our heads. Like, what was going on with Maureen Prescott? She was like... Slut shaming. It is, but it also almost takes on that feel of like the Black Dahlia or something well, where you hear about it later and you're just like, well, what was going on? She was just like going around all, with all these men and then she ends up getting murdered. Yeah. 
Especially in part three, well, where there's the Hollywood connection and everything. You wonder what was going on with Sydney's dad. Like, was it a cuck situation? Oh, yeah. Well, we'll get to that. <laughs> I, I have thoughts. <laughs> Meanwhile, Sid's not giving it up to Billy Loomis, played by Skeet Ulrich, her boyfriend. I think he's kind of a scary-looking dude. He kind of looks trashy. The thing with Skeet Ulrich was everyone was like, he looks exactly like Johnny Depp. A famous joke on David Spade's Hollywood Minute on Weekend Update on SNL was like, hey, Skeet, Johnny Depp called. He wants his DNA back. And this is clearly an homage to Wes's film, Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, yeah. Looks like Johnny Depp a little bit coming in through the window, just like Johnny Depp does in Nightmare on Elm Street. And Nev... They have her dressed all dowdy in this, like she's a 48-year-old woman, <laughs> essentially. Because Shops at Christopher and Banks. Obviously, like, Rose McGowan is, like, in, I mean, I've never a seen a girl dressed like that at high school. It's completely insane. <laughs> and so Nev has to be, like, way pared down. That's and true. so she's definitely got a Nancy vibe, although she's, like, she's even more conservative than Nancy in her sure. dress. Yeah. Her not having sex with him and pushing him away is the typical final girl move that we're accustomed to, but it will be subverted later in the film. Yeah. All in this little sequence here, we have references to Elm Street, Halloween because of the Don't Fear the Reaper, and The Exorcist, which Billy brings up and talks about watching. And then later in the film, Linda Blair will pop in. On his way out the window, Nev gives him a little, Nev, Sydney gives him a little boob flash. We don't see it. Scream aggressively, no nudity throughout the franchise, almost specifically. And I think, unfortunately, probably intentionally, I guess, to just subvert that expectation of a slasher. Yeah. The closest I think we get is in Scream 3, the girl at the beginning, Cotton's chick. Oh, that's true. She's in the the shower, shower, like the frosted glass. You can see. Her butt, butt a little bit, yeah. That's as close as it gets, folks, for Scream. Another weird thing. They specifically make a joke in 4. Oh, sure. Where he's like, maybe we'll get some nudity this time or something. (laughs) There wasn't, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I always felt like it would have been funnier in Scream 2 when they're watching Stab if Heather Graham was nude. Yeah, and they sort of like imply that she is for the audience that's watching it, but we never see (laughs) it. Yeah, I know that people are like, Jesus Christ, these two. <laughs> they can't stop talking about this kind of stuff. That's a big part of movies, I would say. I guess we're supposed to believe that Billy is coming to see her the same night that Casey was killed. Because it's not until the next morning that the murders of oh, Casey yeah. and Steve hit the news. I always took that, that it was the same night. Tabloid media descends on the small town of Woodsboro, led by Gail Weathers, played by Courtney Cox. Gail Weathers is my kind of chick. I think you talked about... Oh, God, I've got some jokes coming up. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, all right, yeah, let's get to it. Gail has connections to Sydney's past. For me, I think Courtney Cox was unbelievable looking in this movie, but she tops herself in two. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, the bang situation in three, three, just just a mess. But I I feel like they made up for it Famously a mess. uh, How good Parker Posey was looking in three. All right, fair enough. Sid's best friend is a girl named Tatum, played by Rose McGowan. It's really kind of hard to explain Tatum. I think we'll we'll talk about her maybe a little bit later. But 
the thing that jumps out to me watching this now is like so you're telling me Woodsboro High was boasting a student body that included a 23 year old Nev Campbell a 23 year old Rose McGowan and a 21 year old Drew Barrymore all at the same time <laughs> good lord yeah it does <laughs> what was like... going on at this school <laughs> <laughs> not a lot of classes oh boy principal is played by Henry Winkler Nice oh, to see the Fonz yeah. in action. Always kind of distracting, but always kind of welcome at the same time. David Arquette plays Deputy Dewey. What was David Arquette's level of fame at this time? Mm, probably not that high. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how many things he had been in okay. previous to this. Obviously, his sisters were more well-known. It's always good to see David Arquette and Courtney Cox together on screen, though. Yeah, this is where they met. Yeah, I know. But even in, like, four after, like post-divorce or whatever there's uh, these rumblings that sparks were flying on set again i don't know they, get, they, there's a, they got that chemistry well maybe it'll happen again for scream five because they're both going to be in it hopefully deputy dewey is tatum's brother which is something that as the movies goes on it almost feels weird like in this movie i think it's fine but oh like- well yeah after a certain thing happens in this movie it's almost like tatum is just never mentioned again it's, it is a joke. I think a lot of people have addressed it, and they sort of goofed on it in the documentaries on the in the Blu-ray okay, set, where sure. they were just kind of like, yeah, well, <laughs> I cried at the hospital later, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't really react to my sister being murdered. I wasn't that broken up about it. <laughs> she was kind of a bitch, you know what I mean? <laughs> Always undermining me. Yeah, well. The crew, which consists of Sidney Tatum... Their two boyfriends, Billy and Stu, who was played by Matthew Lillard, and then sure. Randy, they're all ha- hanging by a fountain discussing the murders. So let me get this straight. <laughs> Stu dated Casey. Albeit And now Tatum. Yeah, yeah, I know. I what think you- Matthew Lillard is good in this movie. It's probably my favorite Matthew Lillard thing because I haven't okay. really enjoyed him in much. Not that Fair I never enough. Not that I don't like him, but yeah, yeah. Well, he's kind of a... One trick pony a little bit. A little bit of an abrasive performer. Yeah. Although I think he toned it down and went on to like a more indie style thing, starting with like The Descendants or whatever. True. I think he directed his own indie movie that I think was well received. Yeah. Back around 2010. I think he got it together. He's not like Jamie Kennedy, who is actually a one trick pony. But Well, that's true. Jamie know, Kennedy annoys me in other things. I, I love Randy. I love the Randy I character. do like Randy too, although, you know. Sure. Okay, fine. I guess in high school there are those couples sometimes where a guy overachieves because he's got like a big personality and he just sort of is a part of the crew. Yeah. I but guess like there was looks di- wise you would never buy it straight up, but then it just it's more of like the cult of personality. Yeah, the charisma thing. Yeah. And I mean I myself have definitely overachieved I think we all have, yeah. In my life. So but it's just you know, that come on. <laughs> <laughs> Drew Barrymore and then Rose McGowan. I mean, what a run! Well, with Drew Barrymore, it's like he got in the club. You know, <laughs> Tatum was all of a sudden interested. All students are encouraged to return to their homes promptly from school grounds. Avoid strangers. Walk in twos and threes. Well, they asked me if I knew Casey. Yeah, they asked me. Hey, they asked you like to hunt. Yeah, they did. They asked you. Hunt? Why would they ask you if you like to hunt? Because their bodies were gutted. Thank you, Randy. They didn't ask me if I liked that. It's because there's no way a girl could have killed him. That is so sexist. The killer could easily be female. Basic instinct. That was an ice pick. Not exactly the same thing. Yeah, Casey and Steve were completely hollowed out. 
And the fact is, it takes a man to do something like that. Or a man's mentality. How do you gut someone? You take a knife, and you slit them from groin to sternum. Hey, it's called tact, you fuckrag. Hey, Stu, didn't you used to date Casey? Yeah, for like two seconds. Before she dumped him for Steve. I thought you dumped him for me. I did, he's full of shit. And are the police aware that you dated the victim? Hey, what are you saying? That I killed her? It would certainly improve your high school kill. Stu was with me last night, okay? Yeah, it was. Ooh. Was that before or after? He sliced and diced. Fuck you, Nutcase, where were you last night? Working, thank you. Oh, at the video store, I thought they fired your sorry ass. Twice. I didn't kill anybody. Nobody said you did. Thanks, buddy. Besides, it takes a man to do something like that. Yo, I'm gonna gut your ass in a second, kid. Tell me something. Did you really put her liver in the mailbox? Because I heard that they found her liver in the mailbox next to her spleen and her pancreas. Where are you goon fucking trying to eat here? I'm just right? getting mad, right? Better liver alone. <laughs> Never alone. <laughs> Ow, liver, liver, liver. And why exactly are they friends with Randy? Is he their version of Screech? I think so, yeah. That's <laughs> he's, clear. He's fun in this context, especially since this is such a reference-crammed horror movie. But well, the girls, I can't imagine being friends with this guy. Yeah, but the girl's always like a non-threatening guy around, too. Like one that they're never going to date. Yeah, and they do touch on him like pining for Sydney, and that even comes up in Scream Two. Sure, because yeah. he goes to the same college as her for some reason. Well, come on, <laughs> yeah, it's like Felicity. I get it. I get it. <laughs> Sid's dad Neil is always out of town, and he goes out of town now. You'd think he'd hear about those murders though, and not leave his daughter alone. I, I would agree, especially um, with what happened with her mother. This seems like a fucking and real ir- irresponsible decision. Well, by the way, we're not that far removed from it. We haven't even hit the one year anniversary at this point in the movie. And two people you knew from school just got murdered. But hey, I got to head out of town. <laughs> yeah, After actually, for what happened to her mother, like Sid is shockingly well adjusted. Yeah. You would think she'd be way more fucked up than this. Although everyone seems to be like, get over it. (laughs) (laughs) It was a year ago. (laughs) Sydney, after school, is waiting for Tatum to come pick her up so that she can stay over at her house with her dad away. And she falls asleep on the couch. She's then awakened by a phone call, and it's now dark outside. The first phone call is Tatum, and she's running late. But then another call. And when we hear the voice, the audience knows... This but killer, Sid doesn't know because the well, yeah. MO is not public. Right. Like yes. People don't know this is what happened yet. The killer are always cutting it shockingly close, though, to like people coming over. Yeah, that could be also true to life. I think we're used to killers in movies somehow knowing all oh, this true. stuff. But yeah. it's like they don't have this all-knowing ability to just know what's going on with yeah, everyone like all the, the time. And by the way, they can't check like Tatum's Twitter to see where she's at. Yeah, and... 1996 technology is a big plot point in this because having a cell phone will make Billy a suspect in yes. a way that seems crazy now. Yeah. If they check those cell tower records. <laughs> <laughs> this turns into serial. Yeah. Tatum, just get in the car. Hello, Sydney. Uh, hi. Who is this? You tell me. 
Well, I, I have no idea. Scary night, isn't it? With the murders and all, it's like right out of a horror movie or something. <laughs> Randy, you gave yourself away. Are you calling from work because Tatum's on her way over? Do you like scary movies, Sydney? I like that thing you're doing with your voice, Randy. It's sexy. What's your favorite scary movie? Oh, come on. You know I don't watch that shit. Why not? Too scared? No. No, it's just, what's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act who's always running up the stairs when she should be going out the front door. It's insulting. Are you alone in the house? Randy, that's so unoriginal. I'm disappointed in you. Maybe that's because I'm not Randy. So, who are you? The question isn't, who am I? The question is, where am I? So, where are you? Your front porch. Why would you be calling from my front porch? That's the original part. Oh, yeah? Well, I call your bluff. So where are you? Right here. What am I doing? Huh? Huh? What am I doing? Hello? <laughs> nice try, Randy. Tell Tatum to hurry up, okay? Bye now. If you hang up on me, you'll die just like your mother. Do you want to die, Sydney? Your mother sure didn't. Fuck you, you creep. After she hangs up, with this guy who she kind of thinks is Randy, but he starts saying some fucked up shit about her mom and stuff. And it turns sort of violent on the phone. And so she hangs up on him. Yeah. She's attacked by the killer who is hiding in her house. I have some questions about this for a time. I was trying to, I guess, rationalize it in my head that when she goes outside, he like sneaks in. But when you watch the scene, She's never really away from the door. She does. She does go around the corner for a second. Doesn't yeah. She? Yeah. I don't even. I don't even think she goes all the way around the corner though. She, yeah, like, she does the look corner. the other way. Yeah. But it's I think a- that if you wanted to think that that he goes in there, then I think you could buy that. But you could okay. also think that he was in there the whole time. I know, but don't you think she would hear him on the phone in the house? I don't. I mean, you have to. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you have to roll with some of this shit. That's true. I think this is an awesome closet reveal of him coming I, absolutely. out absolutely it's a shock I, I would say it's a scare even him coming out <laughs> sid manages to narrowly escape and she ends up having to run upstairs even though she said on the phone earlier that that was stupid yes 
she locks herself in her room and then billy arrives at the window it which is the weird the way he shows up he shows up almost as if he's like injured yeah he like almost is like falling and right to her window as if he was like out of breath or like running and of course she just like embraces him and is like the killers the killers here but then he drops his cell phone and so which is funny that that's an incriminating piece of evidence because if you think about now the yeah that's what i was out. saying yeah, right the the technology in 96 leads to a different way of determining yeah. suspects now it would be way different but they also would have known faster the police She's like i only know two people that have a cell phone my dad and zach morris sydney <laughs> believes billy made the call so when the police arrive because she's able to dial 911 on a computer i don't even know what that is or why it's <laughs> I not know even that, really worth right. mentioning like i the, think they took a swing thinking like oh this will be something everyone does that, well the net came out last year so <laughs> billy's arrested because of having a cell phone in 1996 i guess because of this having a living survivor here they're able to figure out the killer's mo so it's now clear to not only the police but the characters in the film because at this point they wouldn't really have pieced it all together what happened to casey yeah they would eventually but news wouldn't be getting out no one would understand but now because sydney survives this encounter the whole calling thing becomes clear they leave the mask behind and dewey has it so that's true they do have a lot of evidence now they're starting to like put the pieces together yeah you'd think there would be hairs or something on the mask yeah. like they'd be able to piece this together faster but Get to a dna lab they don't really ever get into dna in this no. that would sort of ruin the, the fun. woodsboro force is just not equipped for that type of investigation probably not gail is always hanging around i knew you would probably love the way that gail talks to her cameraman kenny, kenny. yeah that's what i told Lindsay. actually she, i was like well actually i'm more like kenny than any of the other characters <laughs> at one point she's like move your fat tub of lard ass now <laughs> Wow, that is aggressive. She's like, your penis is pathetic. (laughs) You call that a dick? (laughs) (laughs) Yelling things like that. That guy's played by, what's his name, W. Emmett Brown or something? Oh, that's true. Yeah, he's in Deadwood, right? Yeah, I think he also played Meatloaf in the VH1 movie about Meatloaf. Oh, wow, good for him. Neil Prescott can't be tracked down, and this is the red herring that will hang over everything that Sid's father will just be MIA. He's supposed to be at a specific hotel, but he's not there. They can't find him. So Sid ends up staying with Tatum on the night that she's been attacked, but not before punching Gail in the face on her way out of the police precinct. That's true. Sid gets a call while at Tatum's house. And this is while Billy is in custody and it's the killer on the phone. The killer tells her that she has fingered, (laughs) <laughs> the wrong guy which is got sort of a funny way to put it yeah although i mean i think even as viewers were like well he gets his one call yeah it always did occur although, to me you're like although were they letting him use the voice changer for his one call yeah and there's a reference to her doing it previously meaning a reference to whatever went on with oh, her mom right. and her mom's killer at this point we yeah. haven't actually seen cotton weary yet but we've heard the name i do love that Tatum and her mom are both like calling for Dewey who is at the house as well and then by the time Dewey gets there the phone call is over and then Dewey like picks up the phone and is like hello <laughs> I always thought that was <laughs> yeah, so weird and voice. funny it's like a, yeah like a sultry voice that he answers it with <laughs> well let's talk real quick about Dewey and Tatum for me 
it's always hard to separate Dewey from Doofy from well, Scary true, Movie. Yeah. They just really hit that on the head in Scary Movie, and it became forever like entwined. Such an idiot. <laughs> and he is treated like one by Tatum while she's alive, and to a lesser extent, Gale well, in it all is three like, movies. Really? Original movies. Dewey, you, you can't get your own place. That's a tough look. Well, that and just not able to command any respect from anyone. Well, sure. Ever. Yeah. I did want to point out, and this is something that I really picked up on when we see Billy's father at the police station, but it also becomes clear when you look at the old pictures of Maureen Prescott and then you look at Tatum's mom as well in this scene. These parents, none of them look like their kids at all. They're like the frumpiest parents imaginable. They all seem like pretty old, too. A lot of the parents are old. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of hard to tell. I guess when you have kids, like, pushing 30 that are in high school. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. They they really didn't cast people that look like these people at all. They're no, just no. the most saddest looking. They look like they have kids that look like us. Not Rose <laughs> McGowan. Yeah. <laughs> Tatum is obviously, like, a sex bomb, but she's also kind of dorky. Yeah, which is cool. Her reaction to Sid punching Gale, like where she's like, boom, super bitch. It's always struck me as very goofy and out of character, but they talked about it, that scene specifically in the the documentary stuff. And Rose McGowan was like talking about that scene and how it sort of like explained her character more. And I was like, yeah, I kind of get it. She's projecting this like hypersexualized, like cool girl image, but then like yeah. is kind of dorky. And, like, gushing over her friend. And, like, referencing movies all the time. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) I like it. Also, like, Rose McGowan, to me, just always memorable from that dress she wore at the Video Music Awards. Yes. I don't think anyone's forgotten it. Yeah, really. (laughs) On the TV the next morning, there is a news report about the murders and then how Sid is now involved in it. And they bring up her mom's murder and they show Cotton Weary, the convicted murderer, on the tv and it's and played like, by Liev schreiber whoa 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 i didn't know Liev schreiber was in this picture and then he's only in it for 30 seconds <laughs> i think he was brought in as a favor for the weinsteins i know we have to keep bringing them up but he was like in phantoms or something oh wow around this time i think they brought in a name person because they knew before the filming was complete that they were going to be gunning for sequels williamson had a built-in pitch for scream 2 at the end of his Scream 1 script. And based on the dailies they were seeing, the completed cut of the opening sequence, they're like, this could be good, this could be big. (laughs) This was one of the first big properties under the the new wing of Miramax, which was Dimension, which was sort of like a horror producer for, I don't know, what, like a decade or so. They sort of had a big run for a while. Liev Schreiber ends up appearing in 2, and then he's in the beginning of 3, and fits all in it's like a nice little trilogy billy is released the next morning they find out that the calls were not made from his cell phone and that's really all they had to go on gail talks to sydney and sticks to this frame job theory involving her mother's murder because now sid's starting to have second thoughts because the killer is taunting her about her mother's yeah but i also feel like sydney's just like impressionable gail is just like you know you're not that sure are you are you Gail's theory is ridiculous and would never happen in real life. I love that she... (laughs) I love how we're just like, yeah, that's... Whoa. 
but it's like no that come on the frame the <laughs> what <laughs> i know well it was cotton's jacket <laughs> and then like the idea that Sydney's mom is having an affair with another man that puts on the other guy that she's having an affair with jacket well no i don't think her theory was that she was necessarily killed by someone she was having an affair with okay it was just that the killer took the jacket and it got bloody and sid saw that person leaving but it wasn't actually cotton. that's true yeah you're right yeah I guess it does tie in that she was having an affair with another man, though, too. Eventually, yeah. Yeah. It seems like she was fucking a lot of people all over town. (laughs) Yeah, right. Which is something that, because of this being a horror movie with a lot of blood and scares and all this shit, like, you never really get into the psychology of it, but it is just, like, a total mindfuck for Sid to, like, learn all this shit about her mom. That's true. Who is now dead. Once you know, once you're Sid, by the end of this movie, and you start going back through history... I just feel like a, a lot of therapy would be needed. By the time you get to the end of Scream 4, Sid herself has had to kill so many people. Oh, I know. Yeah. That you're just like, <laughs> I mean, the psychological She's damage. She's like the Terminator. She runs into Billy at school, and Billy does this bad comparison. Just a bad move. And I don't know, as a yeah, viewer, right. you should start getting suspicious, because he's like, well, my mom left my dad, and so I know what it's like to have a dead mom or whatever. And you're like, what the fuck is he talking about? And, Stupid. Yeah, and she's like, my mom's in a coffin. How can you compare this? Yeah, I know. And he's like, all right, well, you know. <laughs> Just trying to relate. In the bathroom, some local cunts. I love these chicks. <laughs> Just discussing. I love how horrible they are. They're just discussing Sid and her slut mom She's and all that just stuff. A slut like her mom. <laughs> just love Where how do bitchy you get are. this shit, Ricky Lay? <laughs> now I do think that this is the most ridiculous part in the movie. That the killer is somehow waiting in the bathroom. The yeah, whole time. like I always kind of feel like this part isn't even real because it seems so. Yeah, far-fetched. and they cut around it in a weird way because. Okay, so what we're talking about is after the two bitches leave and Nev's, like, sitting in the stall. This is something that happens in a lot of movies like this where there's just, like, two people talking about someone. After that, then dropping down from one of the stalls is clearly the killer. He comes out of the one stall right as Sydney decides to make a run right at him. And she, like, slides under him and gets to the door and gets out. And that's it. (laughs) What are the logistics of this? The reason that this is crazy and feels weird is, well, number one, how did the killer know that she was going to go in that bathroom? Right how did then? she? How did the killer even know it was her in there? I know. And number two, it's not like she talks or announces herself. They cut out the scene where she runs into the principal's office and is screaming about this. Okay, which yeah. is what prompts Principal Hembry, played by the Fonz, to cancel school and suspend okay, right. classes yeah. because that seems abrupt. Oh, absolutely. Because you're like, well, why didn't you do it already? If you were going to do it. Yeah, yeah. Why did it take this long? Because they cut this scene out. It's not the end of the world, but it does make this part feel weird. Yeah. And it, it does have like a dreamlike feel to it. Yeah. Even the way it's it almost feels kind of slow, like the feet coming down from the toilet and then all of a sudden <laughs> the cape drops down. Yeah. And it just seems ridiculous that this person would have been waiting in there hoping that Sid is going to come in. And then I, I, again, maybe she had a routine. Know? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I don't know. Like, Billy knew he was going to upset her enough to run to the bathroom. 
Gail's outfits are probably like the most '90s part of this. Dynamite. Everything else feels very yep, like it could be going on now. Almost. Yeah, she's wearing like yellow highlighter, on yellow, yellow, yeah, bright colors. She's flirting with Dewey a lot. At first, you think that she's just doing it to use him, and I think she is. But I love, over the course of three movies, yeah. you start to just buy it. I guess I love when she's talking about her target demo for. Like dude, that's a, that is like a pretty good line where he's like, yeah. she's like it was twelve to twenty four, and he says he's twenty five, and then she he's like, well, I was twenty four for a whole year. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I never questioned whether or not David Arquette was handsome enough to get Courtney Cox in real life. I always felt like he was handsome. It's just that he always projected such like a weird, goofy persona that it yeah all, absolutely it, their relationship always seemed hard to believe and he because never of seemed that. like a star on her level really i mean no i don't think he was but on the other hand you know one of the greatest moments in the history of our sport david arquette wins the wcw championship <laughs> yeah and i think he was like always bothered by his reception to that which is why he like randomly started doing indie wrestling a few years ago and like nearly killed himself oh gosh just like blood everywhere because <laughs> he got like cut in the neck or something oh I don't know. something crazy happened he was doing like hardcore matches and stuff oh wow <laughs> thankfully that seems like that's over and he's not doing that anymore <laughs> because of the classes being suspended and there being a curfew instituted in the town Stu decides to throw a party at his house i never really pick up what, does he say where his parents are no it no one's like parents are ever around really yeah <laughs> completely fine with leaving these teenagers at home because the initial script had a section here where there was like a good like 30 to 35 minutes without a kill, Bob Weinstein added a note saying like, hey, we need something here. So they threw in this whole thing about the principal getting killed. Which does feel random. It does, but it, it serves a purpose because I would have skipped over this entirely. Yeah. But it helps thin the herd at the party later. That's true. That They do bring it back. Yeah. They needed a reason to keep getting rid of more and more people at the party. I mean, they could have just... You know, anything made people yeah. leave but it, it helped a little bit there's a west craven cameo dressed as freddy krueger he's playing the That's janitor right. fred yep wearing the sweater of course what if cotton mary is telling me the truth maybe he was having an affair with your mom and your dad has always had a town on business maybe maybe your mom was just a very unhappy woman if if they were having an affair then how come cotton couldn't prove it in court well, you can't prove a rumor. That's why it's a rumor. Right. Created by that little tabloid twit, Gail Weathers. It goes further back, Sid. There's been talk about other men. And you believe it? Well, I mean, you can only hear that Richard Gere gerbil story so many times before you have to start believing it. Sorry. You know, if I was wrong about Cotton Weary, then the killer's still out there. Don't go there, Sam. You're starting to sound like some West Carpenter flick or something. Don't freak yourself out, okay? We've got a long night ahead of us. Okay? Tatum truth bombs Sid a little bit about our mother's past and the quote other men and all that stuff. And then the wildest line here is Tatum being like you hear the richard gear gerbil story enough and you start to think it's true <laughs> i can't believe they 
they got away with putting this in there. I do think that Craven said that he got calls about it, and they just were like, fuck it, we're leaving it in. Wow. And I'm very proud of us, in particular, for not really even bringing it up during the American Gigolo app. Okay. Good job, Because it's one of those urban legends that is definitely not true, but... (laughs) Every, everybody always yeah. thought, you know, like the Rod Stewart and the courts have come and all that's that true, like, yeah. There's all these dumb urban legends that people spread and, you know. I just think it's wild that Tatum brings it up. Right. <laughs> Sid's mom and her promiscuous past is actually the center of Screams 1 through 3. Somehow and, it keeps coming like back to that. And I think like people don't necessarily think like that or, or realize that, but that really is essentially what propels yeah, the, the entire thing. <laughs> the dudes that banged Maureen Prescott, yeah. it's like a club, and it I, I don't know, it led to a lot of like psychopaths. Stu and Randy are at the video store discussing the murders, Randy making it clear that he's interested in Sid. There's a clerk's poster in the background. True. Just throw that out there. Yep. Billy's there as well. When you go back and you, I don't really want to like reveal everything right now, but when you go back and you look at certain scenes, once you know the ending, you can start to like definitely see things and pick up on yes, a lot more. Right. Well, even in this scene, Randy says the words, Sid's dad is a red herring, the killer is Stu, <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> or Billy. He says one of them. Oh, he says Billy. And then the two of them kind of maniacally, <laughs> I don't know, put their arms around each other. Jesus, this place is back tonight, man. We had a run in the mass murder section. Coming to my fiesta? Yeah, I'm off early. Curfew, you know. Cool. What's that werewolf movie with E.T.'s mom in it? The Howling Horror, straight ahead. Okay, thanks. Oh, now that's in poor taste. What? If you were the only suspect in a senseless bloodbath, would you be standing in the horror section? Well, it was just a misunderstanding. He didn't do anything. You're such a little lap dog. He's got killer printed all over his forehead. Okay. Really? Why'd the cops let him go, smart guy? Because obviously they don't watch enough movies. This is standard horror movie stuff. Prom night revisited, man. Yeah? Why would he want to kill his own girlfriend? There's always some stupid bullshit reason to kill your girlfriend. That's the beauty of it all. Simplicity. Besides, if it gets too complicated, you lose your target audience. Well, what's his reason? Maybe Sydney wouldn't have sex with him. <laughs> what, she's saving herself for you? Maybe. Now that Billy tried to mutilate her, do you think Sid would go out with me? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't at all. No. You know what I think it is? You know, I think it's her father. You know, why can't they find her pops, man? Because he's probably dead. His body will come popping up in the last reel somewhere. Eyes gouged out, fingers cut off, teeth knocked out. See, the police are always off track with this shit. If they'd watch prom night, they'd save time. There's a formula to it. A very simple formula. Everybody's a suspect. I'm telling you, the dad's a red herring. It's Billy. How do we know you're not the killer? Huh? Huh? Hi, Billy. Maybe your movie-freaked mind lost its reality button. You ever think of that? You're absolutely right. I'm the first to admit it. If this were a scary movie, I'd be the prime suspect. That's right. And what would be your motive? It's the millennium. Motives are incidental. 
Millennium, I like that. That's good. Millennium. I did think it was weird that there's this whole running section here that's very Michael Myersy Halloweenish, where Ghostface in costume seems to be stalking Nev throughout the town. I don't get this part. First, he's in like, the bushes outside yeah. the house, and then at the part at the store. What? Really? Yeah, I know. Dumb. It's seriously. No one in like... the store sees this jackass dressed <laughs> up like this. Yeah, right. And it's oh. not. <laughs> I know it's stupid, but. There is some funny shit here. Nev makes a joke about Tori Spelling playing her in the movie of her life. And then in... Right. Is that Scream 2 or 3? That's 2. Yeah. Okay. They're watching it. I couldn't remember. They're watching Stab. And, I mean, maybe it's in 3, too. <laughs> but yeah, Tori Spelling does play Sydney in the Stab movies, which are based off of the real life <laughs> Scream movie. Which is funny. Right, whatever. And then around this time period, Dewey mentions that the calls were traced to neil prescott's cell phone and they still can't track him down so we're all building towards the big party at Stu's, which will be the climax and everything the last 42 minutes essentially of the movie yeah is this party actually i was watching it and it's like you hit the shot of the house where the party's going to take place at like the hour mark and you're like holy shit there's like 50 minutes left and it's all this set piece yeah. basically before we jump into the party, let's run through all the references that I was able to oh, wow. okay. get down from screen. Lay it on me. So this is the long list. If you're not sure what I'm referencing, then you can stop me and ask. Okay. Because I didn't really get into the specifics. There might be a few. When a Stranger Calls, homage. Suspiria, homage. That would be Drew okay. hanging yeah. with her guts out. Right. A Nightmare on Elm Street multiple yes mentions specifically homages lots of stuff absolutely halloween multiple yes <laughs> mentions homages friday the 13th mention halloween 2 homage oh what's that one that's when casey is calling out to her parents and they can't hear her that happens okay. to laurie and right. two. yeah the exorcist multiple yes there's mentions plus linda blair's cameo right basic instinct mention plus mention. other sharon stone references Stone was in an early Craven movie called Deadly Blessing and was apparently good friends with his wife or one of his wives or something. Yeah. All the Right Moves mentioned. Yep. Frankenstein clip at the video store. Richard Gere <laughs> mentioned. <laughs> the Fonz homage. Yeah. And sort of whatever. There. Quote, Wes Carpenter. Tatum says that. Okay. Jamie Lee Curtis, multiple mentions and trading places mention. Prom Night, mention. The Howling, mention. Okay, yes. E.T., mention. The Town That Dreaded Sundown, mentioned by yep. Sid, of all that's people. That's right. <laughs> Call it saying that's what Woodsboro's turned into. Movies rented for Stu's Party, Hellraiser, The Fog, Terror Train, Prom Night, and The Evil Dead. Wow, that's like us renting movies for a night. Tatum says, what is this? I spit on your garage? Randy mentions Leatherface, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, obviously. There's a Clueless reference, which only came out the year before. Halloween has clips at the party. The Silence of the Lambs, mentioned a couple of times. The Bad Seed, mentioned by Sid. Billy quotes Anthony Perkins in Psycho. Carrie is mentioned. Lillard ad-libbed the Apollo 13 quote towards the end of the movie. Ricky Lake is mentioned. Blue Oyster Cult, which, as we said, might be a Stone Age reference. I would think so. (laughs) Casper, Meg Ryan movie. Clerks VHS. That's all I have. 
Okay. Are there that's, any more? Uh, that's a lot. Nothing else comes to mind. <laughs> and yet, when you list them all out, it seems like it's overbearing, and then it would get annoying. And yet, it, it, most yeah. of them fly by without even a second thought, and it just all kind of fits. Yeah, absolutely. And even though it is ridiculous, it never feels weird to me that all of the characters talk like this. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this is, is a like dream world for everyone me. Everyone just walks around like comparing everything that happens to a movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's like if we were everyone. It's like if our show was how people talk to each other. The party scene here at the end that essentially wraps up the film runs 42 minutes long. It was shot over 21 nights from sundown to sunup. Oh, wow. And... The cast and crew all got shirts saying, I survived scene 118. This was as scripted, but to actually pull this off, it was just a long endurance test because it's all at at night and it's all done at this house, which is like one set and lots of different things are happening. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's half the movie. And to get the continuity right, you have to, you know, figure all of it out. There's a lot of moving pieces, people coming in and out. So at the party, no Billy yet, but we have... Randy, Stu, Sid, Tatum, Gail hanging around. She shows up with her cameraman, Kenny. Dewey's there. Well, I like how Tatum basically told Stu not to invite Billy. And it's like, you know, it's not like there's a lot of other parties going on, I'm sure. Also, like, unclear, like, what Sid actually feels about Billy at this point. Because... Well, it'll become clear when he shows up. Yeah, I know. But she has that whole thing, which I think really doesn't fit well in a movie nowadays when she talks about how she's sexually anorexic and why would he stay with her but she was talking Uh, to tatum about that i think stuff like that is still okay to say okay i think like i don't necessarily think just because something sexual means that it's gonna be frowned upon i think the idea of like a guy not having value in his girlfriend if they're not having sex though i I feel like they wouldn't put that in a movie yeah (laughs) Well, I think it's okay for her to worry about it. Okay, sure. Natural teenager feeling. Yeah, there's just a lot of uncertainty around sex in high school, obviously. And it's just everybody's nervous and afraid. And Okay, so they anyway, they've built it into the narrative that Billy is not going to be there. I think like if he wouldn't have made an ass of himself at school by That's comparing true. his mom leaving his dad <laughs> to her mom being murdered, then He maybe, would have been back in. Yeah, maybe she would have had warmer feelings and would have not wanted Tatum to ban him from the party. That's true. But the incident from the previous night coupled with that reaction, she's just like, I don't want to deal with this right now. Yep. Gail comes inside and puts a camera in the living room looking out at the party looking for a scoop, and they're able to watch that feed in her news van. They still can't locate Sid's dad. Dewey seemingly is dropping Tatum and sit off but then he just doesn't leave well they his chief officer or whatever tells him not to let sid out of his sight oh okay which his whole almost older brother protective thing over sid seems kind of weird and it yeah especially since he just throws his sister in the trash yeah right (laughs) it's interesting too when i was rewatching this for the podcast and this is a movie i'd seen plenty of times it's still shocking to me how early into the night and party that tatum gets killed it's like almost immediate her death i think is one of the weirder things in the whole movie not well, that she the actual does... way she's murdered is ridiculous right but of course like the everything about it though when it happens the logistics of it the fact that the there's really no 
reaction to it because like people don't really know i mean sid sees it at some point and then reacts of course but it's like it takes a long time to get to that it happens while the party is still going on is what i'm saying yeah it does seem like we jump ahead in time at some point because very shortly thereafter people are leaving and yeah i think Stu's like enjoy your curfew or whatever so like some people are leaving at an earlier time and that's not that long after but yeah i know but it seems strange that this kill happens like no one ever is like where is she yeah they just sort of are like she disappeared but it's like like, well where would she go move to even try this while there's so many people there yeah (laughs) rose's nips just out of control she goes into the garage and she ends up getting killed by like trying to get through the garage doggy door and then somehow the killer like hits the button and she like goes up with the door and then gets like crushed by the garage it's so stupid yeah it really is. the door would it's never going, like, lift so with slow. that much extra weight yeah it yeah. also feels like it couldn't even le- like it would just break yeah it would stop yeah it, would, it's, it is stupid plus <laughs> she was like beating the killer's ass i know like why is, doesn't she just stay awesome. and like fuck him up that's right she's doing like a back body drop where he like lands on the steps like coming down from the house into the garage i'm like he'd be like paralyzed yeah really (laughs) Ghostface is like a paraplegic (laughs) but nobody sees this i guess until sid way later somehow and no one's really that concerned as a bunch of people leave the house too it seems like they have to go by the garage i don't know i can't really tell where the garage is that's true yeah I, i don't know all of these people with their mansions yeah Billy shows up, and this is basically what distracts Sid, I guess, as to wondering where Tatum is. Oh, yeah. So her and Billy go upstairs to talk. She tells Billy, essentially, that she's ready to move on and accept her mom was a slut. She doesn't say it in that many words, but that's basically what she says. Yeah. And like, I have I to learn to like, deal with what my mom was. <laughs> I need to take my first steps down that path. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess it's genuine to have her be afraid of turning into her mom and that's basically what she says yeah yeah and that's maybe why she's like hesitant to have sex with anyone yeah (laughs) right unbelievable that this is what is the motivation of everything in the movie it's so (laughs) weird yeah yeah the big reveal scene where they're going through all this you are just sort of like what (laughs) it's an unexpected subversion of the slasher genre our heroine our clear final girl has sex and she gives it up to billy here and That's this right. almost happens like simultaneously with Randy and the horror movie rules in the living room. That's true. About don't have sex, no drink or drugs, and never say I'll be right back. Right. Here comes another. Yeah. Yeah. Oh! Yes! yes! Predictable. I knew he was going to bite it. How can you watch this shit over and over? Shh. When do we see breasts? I want to see Jamie Lee's breasts. When do yes. we see Jamie yes. Lee's breasts? Breasts? Not until Trading Places in 83. Jamie Lee was always the virgin in horror movies. She never showed her tits till she went legit. Could afford a decent pair. <laughs> What'd you say? That's why she always outsmarted the killer in the big chase scene at the end. Only virgins can do that. Don't you know the rules? What rules? You don't... Jesus Christ, you don't know the rules? Uh, have an aneurysm, why don't you? There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. For instance, Number one, you can never have sex. Oh. No, no, no. Big no-no, big no-no. Oh, 
dead man. Sex equals death, okay? Number two, you can never drink or do drugs. No, the sin factor. It's a sin, it's an extension of number one. And number three, never, ever, ever, under any circumstances say, I'll be right back. Cause you won't be back. I'm getting another beer, you want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back. That's also probably one of the more iconic scenes in the movie. Certainly one of my favorites. I also like in two when he's going through the rules of the sequel. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> For me, I would have been fine with him not making it to two. Well, he dies in two, so. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I, I would have been fine with him not making but it then to he two at all. Make an appearance in three. Yeah. On, on a video. <laughs> Dewey and Gale go for a walk because there's a report of an abandoned car down the road. I just wrote in my notes, Cox is so pretty. <laughs> a report of an abandoned car? Like, who filed that report? Somebody just called the police and okay. said that. Yeah. <laughs> who takes the time to do that, though? Well, you saw it was like an affluent neighborhood. They That's would be true. like suspicious of this kind yeah, of shit. Yeah. Like, why is there a car there? Right. When they get to that car, it turns out to be Neil Prescott's car. So this whole idea that he is the killer is still like overhanging everything. A call comes into the party, and it turns out that Principal Hembry has been murdered, which we saw. Which I guess like the students start celebrating. Yeah, that's kind of dark. Really? Fucked up. Yeah. Especially like how gruesome it's described where he's like hanging from a football post and all that shit. How, which, how did they manage to do that? With no one seeing them. Yeah, I yeah. Don't know. It seems like they do do shit unnecessarily a few times, especially like what they do with Kenny later. And you're like, why would they do that? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but it's a way, story wise, to get rid of the rest of the party goers. So now we're left with Sydney, Billy, Randy, Stu. And Gail's cameraman, Kenny, at the house. And then Gail and Dewey down the road a bit. After the fuck sesh, Sid's suspicious again out of nowhere. <laughs> She's, like, asking Billy about his one call in jail, which, like you mentioned, I think a lot of viewers were probably thinking, like, well, wait a minute. He could have still called. Yeah. Although, would he have the voice changer thing? Would he have enough privacy to do it? Who knows? Right. Turns out it doesn't matter anyway. Really dedicated to the character. They're still protecting the reveal of what's going to happen, so you're thinking that it's just one person. Hell of a time for Sid to bring it up, though. Yeah. Like, wouldn't she have thought of that before? I know, and you just kind of had this pretty special moment. You'd think there'd be like a little bit of magic in the air, not just immediately going to, like, you know I still think that it was you that tried to kill me. <laughs> but right when she seemingly has him like backed into a corner I and mean, he's not quite able to explain it, Ghostface yeah. shows up into the room, killing Billy, and Sid narrowly escapes after a chase through the house. She ends up like going up into the attic and falling out that window. Into a boat. They act like that would just break her fall. That seems like it would fuck you up. <laughs> yeah, she would be dead. Yeah. I feel like she would probably break her neck or something. Yeah, that's I what I was thinking. They act like she landed on like a fucking like trampoline the or something. Like cushion seats maybe of it. I don't know. Kind of hard to tell what yeah. exactly they were Because there's a cover on the boat, so. This is when she finally sees that Tatum is dead, which in the runtime of this show probably doesn't seem like it happened that long ago. But, but it, I think it feels like it was like 20 minutes yeah, ago. Yeah, it's like 20 minutes of the movie where no one has addressed that Tatum is just gone. Sid escapes to the news van. Kenny and her are watching the feed for a minute. This the is, feed is on like a 30-second yeah. delay, and we see Randy about to be killed, but then he's spared because Ghostface heard 
Sid running through the yard screaming, yeah, yeah. and he he elects to pursue her instead. It's and I was like, damn. Fun. <laughs> Randy should have got that knife right in the head. It's kind of fun the way they string this sequence together, though, because they had introduced the idea of the delay when yeah. they first set the camera up. And then I think it's a fun Kenny trick, goes fun outside tactic. of the van once he sees Ghostface run away, and he's like, 30-second delay, and the next thing you know, he's getting his throat slit. That's right. Dewey and Gale return to the house after Sid runs away from Ghostface once again. They're both convinced that Sid's dad, Neil, is the killer, and since his car is close by, they believe him to be there continuing his kill spree. Gale tries to flee in the van once she sees blood. Rough last beat for old Kenny. Yeah, not for good. For some great. reason, Ghostface decided to put him on the roof of the van somehow, even though he's a heavy-looking <laughs> a guy. A large man. Spent, really, you know, his last few days just having his nuts kicked in by Gale Weathers. Well, he probably enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> My kind of guy. So his, like, blood is all over the windshield. She ends up having to, like, hit the brakes to force him off the van. Yeah. And then Gale, trying to flee the scene, swerves to avoid Sid, who's now standing in the middle of the road. She's covered in blood because I think she got stabbed in the shoulder or something, yep. and she's been through the ringer. So Gale crashes the van. She goes off-road, hits a tree. With nowhere left to run, Sid turns back to the house, only to see Dewey stumble out with a knife in his back. Yeah, I mean, it's like, Dewey, what a horrible cop. You can't handle, like, a couple local <laughs> teenage serial killers. Ghostface appears, and Sid runs to Dewey's police SUV. There's a fun bit here with the windows and the locks. Ghostface has the keys. Taunting her. Sort of a fun little moment. Yeah. Ghostface comes in through the trunk, but not before Sid radios for help. She fights him off. She runs to the house. Stu and Randy both appear at the same time, each accusing each other of being the killer. Sid grabs Dewey's gun, but doesn't do know who to trust. What happened in that time in between? To who? Stu and Randy. Like, why did Randy get so far from the house? I guess, and he announces that he knows Tatum is dead. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah, because know. the last we saw was him sitting on the couch oblivious to everything. But right. then when Dewey goes in the house, when him and Gail get back, he's no longer on the couch. So something happened. Yeah, that's true. Maybe he went to go get a beer in the garage. Ooh, yeah. And he came across something. Who knows? Besides even Tatum. I mean, there might have been more. I'd like to see that part of the movie. Well, can't see everything. <laughs> Sid doesn't know who to trust. She retreats into the house, locking them both outside. Billy, somehow still alive, (laughs) stumbles out, falls down the stairs, seemingly gravely wounded. Oh, wow. Sid, the genius, (laughs) gives Billy the gun. (laughs) He then lets Randy into the house, but then shoots him immediately. (laughs) That's always funny. Yeah. He reveals his injuries were fake. This is fucking cool. I have to say... The first time you see this, you don't see this coming. I agree. Yeah. You're trying to convince yourself one way or the other whether or not Billy is the guy. Well, I, I mean. And then he gets killed. Yeah, and right. And you're like, well, he's not, I guess. Yeah. And the thought of there being two killers never occurs to me. It actually retroactively makes things make more sense. Right. Before it dawns on Sid fully what this all means... Stu appears, and she runs to him, only for him to produce the voice changer, revealing himself as Billy's accomplice. And what I mean by that is she's not quite grasping what it would mean if Billy is the guy, but she watched Billy get killed by a guy in a mask. That means there has to be two, Yeah, and she's not quite getting it, which makes sense. I mean, you'd be panicked. Right. 
Corn syrup. Same stuff they use for pig's blood in carry. Surprise, Sydney. Oh, oh now, whoa. What's the matter, Sydney? You look like you've seen a ghost. Why are you doing this? It's all part of the game, Sydney. It's called Guess How I'm Gonna Die! Fuck you! No, 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 no. We already played that game, remember? Lost. It's a fun game, Sydney. See, we ask you a question, and if you get it wrong, you die. You get it right, you die. You're crazy, both of you. Actually, you prefer the term psychotic. We'll never get away with this. <laughs> I don't know. Tell that to Cotton Weary. Wouldn't believe how easy he was to frame. Watch a few movies, take a few notes. <laughs> It was fun. <laughs> no! Oh, where are you going? <laughs> Why? Why did you kill my mother? Why? Why? You hear that, Stu? I think she wants a motive. <laughs> hmm. I don't really believe in motive, Sid. I mean, did Norman Bates have a motive? No. Did they ever really decide why Hannibal Lecter liked to eat people? Don't think so. You see, it's a lot scarier when there's no motive, Sid. We did your mom a favor, Sid. That woman was a slutbag whore who flashed her shit all over town like she was Sharon Stone or something. Yeah, it would put her out of her misery. Because let's face it, Sidney, your mother was no Sharon Stone. Hmm? Is that motive enough for you? So let's talk a little bit about Billy and Stu's revelations. First of all, they say that they also killed Sid's mother, Maureen. <laughs> I know, these two dudes. And their plan now is to pin it all on Neil. And there's even a, though they got away with the frame job already, you think? No, no, no. pin this new spree. On no, Neil. I know. I'm just saying. A year goes by. So, yeah. So well, they the, successfully get one frame job done. A year goes by, and then they're like, "All right." Well, that's what makes them unique. Yeah. Is that they have this patience? Because normally, if you were this psychotic and you get wrapped up in your thing, you're not going to be able to do one thing and then wait a whole year true. to They're finish it. evil geniuses. There's a gleeful homoeroticness to their evil. I'd say so. It predates Columbine, where if you ever read that book called Columbine, which is like a, an exhaustive I'm recounting sure an, of it all. an uplifting read for everyone listening. The relationship between Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris feels similar to the way that these two are acting here. Like where there's... Yeah, a follower and a leader, and there does have that like hint of love, a little something more going on there. You know whether or not it's ever been acted on, I don't know, but there's definitely like a feeling there, sure, of something. They've got Neil as their hostage, so out of the closet comes King Cuck. That's true. <laughs> Duct taped up. What the fuck was going on with him and Maureen and their marriage and Sid? Because Sid seems like such an all-American, normal, well-adjusted girl. She's got a haunted past, obviously, but something fucked up was going on there. I agree. I, I don't know. I think Neil and Maureen were into some kinky shit. So Williamson and everyone involved in the movie, they weren't sure whether or not to go with the no-motive idea 
or to give the killer's motive, so they decided to split the difference. Well, that's true. They really do here. They give Billy a motive, which is maternal abandonment, because it turns out that Sid's mother was having an affair with Billy's father, which caused Billy's mother to leave. And we will meet Billy's mother unexpectedly (laughs) in Scream 2. But Stu doesn't have a motive. He cites peer pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Which just seems like a joke at that point. Lillard, actually, you know what? I don't really think that Skeet Ulrich is like a great actor, but... He is much better once he makes the turn to evil. And I agree. Lillard is good throughout this movie, and his cartoonishness in these sequences actually like adds an element to it that you would never see in movies like this and makes it so memorable. Absolutely. I remember kids quoting Lillard's dialogue. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Throughout this movie. I feel a little woozy here. Yeah. His over the top ones, plus like Liver Alone from earlier yeah yeah or even when he's like not being evil when he's just like you can go up and talk or whatever i just remember like people really emulating Stu from this movie that's true yeah it's a very memorable performance i'd say so you think about it now huh your daddy's the chief suspect he cloned the cellular evidence is all right there baby what if your father snapped your mother's anniversary set him off and he went on a murder spree killing everyone except for billy and me we were left for dead then he kills you and shoots himself in the head perfect ending i thought of that (laughs) watch this Yeah. Yeah! I'm ready, baby! Head out! Get up! Yeah, man, get up! Head out! Go on, man! Jesus! Oh, shit! My turn! Don't forget, stay to the side and don't go too deep. Okay. I remember. Ah! Fuck! 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 God damn it, Stu! Sorry, Billy. I guess I got a little too zealous, huh? Give me the knife. Oh. Give me the knife. Now! You see, Sid, everybody dies, but us, everybody dies. But us, we gonna carry on and plan the sequel. Cause let's face it, baby, these days, you gotta have a sequel. He's sick for fucks. You've seen one too many movies. Nah, Sid, don't you blame the movies. Movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos for creative. Stop it, Billy, would you, alright? I can't take anymore. I'm feeling woozy here. So their plan is to stab each other, which they start to do, and of course immediately is to fuck it up. Yeah. Well, and start bitching at each other. Yeah. Their bickering is funny. It seems like Billy almost is intentionally killing Stu. I'm not that's the thing. hundred percent sure if it, he is or not. It does play that way, or actually like to me it plays like it wasn't part of the plan, but he's just pissed after he gets stabbed. Yeah. Like it it sets him off more. Sydney says, You sick fucks, you've seen one too many movies. And Billy responds saying, now, Sid, don't you blame the movies. Movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos more creative. Oh, that's right. See? So they were almost like pre-addressing were, yeah. controversies that would be coming <laughs> really, up. Really, yeah. Gail returns 
she fucks it up by trying to shoot them with the safety of the gun on. But it's a distraction for Sid to run and hide. Gail gets this knocked is out. The craziest turn. Yeah, don't love this. No. Or you know what? I don't mind it until we see the reveal of her wearing the costume. Yeah, which yeah. You're I like, know. Why is she doing really? That? But Sid turns the tables. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm hurt, man. Fuck. Shall I let the machine get it? Are you alone in the house? Bitch! You bitch! Where the fuck are you? Not so fast. We're gonna play a little game. It's called Guess Who Just Called the Police and Reporting You. Sorry, motherfucking ass! Find you dipshit! Get up! I can't, Billy. Oh, you caught me too deep. I think I'm dying here, man. Hello? Oh, Stu, Stu, Stu. What's your motive? Billy's got one. The police are on their way. What are you going to tell them? Peer pressure. I'm far too sensitive. I'm going to rip you up, you bitch! Just like your fucking mother! You've got to find me first, you pansy-ass mama's boy! Fuck! Ah, fucking hit me with a phone, dick! <laughs> Fucker, where are you? Ah! Ah, you fuck! Call the police. You make your sorry ass like My mom and dad While they're panicking and looking for Sid, I love after they fucked this uh, up. Billy Stu is basically off. dying and the plan is unraveling. You love what? Billy like going off. You bitch. <laughs> it it's a little over the yeah, top. I because know. he's not really even looking. He's just tearing pillows up with a <laughs> knife. She's like, the cops are on their way now. So it is like, this is over. <laughs> yeah, the whole idea of them getting away with it is over, and Stu is like, my mom and dad are going to be so mad at me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that part's obviously goofy, but it is funny. A little comedic relief. The idea, though, she calls them on the phone and uses the voice changer. Okay, dumb, but okay. <laughs> but then when she reveals herself and comes out of the closet, like, wielding the umbrella as a weapon, she's dressed completely in the mask and costume, which... Yeah, I know. Why the fuck would she ever do and that? And aggressively using an umbrella as the weapon, I'd, I'd be like, you can't find anything better. Maybe she couldn't. Yeah. It briefly incapacitates Billy, and then she has, like, a little bit of a rumble with Stu, and then Stu's like, I always had a thing for you, Sid, and then when she gets the upper hand, she drops the TV on him and says, in your dreams... Which I feel like is a reference to Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. It seems like it has to be. Which is like the one of the most famous deaths in all of the Nightmare on Elm Streets is the TV one. Billy, alive still, attacks Sid, but he's shot at the last second by Gale. Randy pops up, still time. alive. Yeah. And he's like, beware of the killer's one last... Yeah, this is the point in the movie yeah. where you think he's dead, but there's one last scare. And I do love that Billy just goes, oh! <laughs> <laughs> and Sid shoots him in the head, ending it all. Sid, Gale, Randy, somehow Dewey all survive. I also love what this goes into, Gale actually reporting on the story. She's a trooper. That's true. <laughs> this is the scoop of the century. She was involved. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's just like so many people killed, unfazed. A hilarious right line is whenever Billy's like, what the fuck? I thought she was dead. And... Stu goes, she looks like she was. She still does. 
<laughs> just like under his breath. That's right, yeah. <laughs> and she's got like the cuts all over. Neil too, obviously, he survives and will randomly pop back up in Scream Three. The guy that plays Sid's dad is like not really in any That's other true, movies. Yeah. And then he's in Scream and Scream. I forgot 3. that he was in Scream Three, yeah. And those are like his only acting credits. It was a rough few days for Neil. <laughs> Just locked up in a closet. Everyone knows my wife is a tramp. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious that Tatum is Dewey's sister for the rest of the franchise because it just never, never is mentioned, mentioned again. It's like there's no I'm really reaction. sad about Tatum, you know. <laughs> the sunrise happens, police and paramedics finally arrive, and the movie ends. Really fun, cool ending to this movie. 40 minutes or so at this party. The fake out of Billy being murdered, but then not actually being murdered, and two sure. killers and everything. Yep. Perfect. Super original, while also incorporating all of those homages and references. That's right. Somehow I, both. And just super watchable, too. I think I put it on last October. I don't know. I, I could watch this movie certainly multiple times a year. Yeah. I love Scream. And in preparation for this podcast i rewatched two three and four i used to always hate scream two i hated it the first time i saw it i thought it was stupid i thought the reveal of the killers was bad i thought who they were was dumb okay spoilers one of them's timothy oliphant who's barely in the movie it feels like yeah and then ladybird's mom right aunt jackie yeah <laughs> who plays billy's mom she's mrs loomis but when I rewatched all of these sequels, I found myself actually really liking two now. Okay. All of a sudden. I love the beginning with Jada Pinkett Smith and Omar yeah, Epps. That's fun. It's a fun scene. They're going to see the movie Stab, which is based on the events of what happens in Scream. Heather Graham plays Casey Becker. Robert Rodriguez actually did direct everything you ever see of Stab in any of these movies. Oh really? Yeah. That's awesome. Like Wes Craven does direct scream two three and four but the movie within the movie is supposedly directed by rodriguez but it really was oh that's awesome i didn't know that yeah it takes place at college it's a little bit of a stretch the cast is crazy there's so many famous people in it sarah michelle geller is randomly in it that's true rebecca gayhart portia de rossi jerry o'connell timothy oliphant i feel like i'm missing a couple it's just a it leave schreiber it's a big cast yeah Cotton Weary factors back into it. I have to say I enjoyed it a lot more than I ever did before. Yeah, I only watched half of it this week. <laughs> yeah, but you've seen it. Yeah, absolutely. But I certainly enjoyed it the last time we watched it together, too. I had more fun with 3 this time around than... I used to like 3 more than 2, but now watching them all, I, yeah, 3 I, gets a little ridiculous. I think 2 is definitely a better movie <laughs> than 3. 3, the storyline is ludicrous as we like to say it's absolutely it's tied in with another stab movie it takes place in hollywood nev campbell did not want to really do it that much and she's not in it all of that much and her a lot of the parts that she is in it are separate from everybody else that's true yeah and it's almost like the killer's trying to taunt her to get her back involved and again crazy cast yep a lot of random people in it jenny, jenny McCarthy, mccarthy parker posey emily mortimer I do like a lot of the stuff in it, but the ending is terrible. The reveal of this guy being Sydney's half-brother yeah. is just insane. Yeah, I mean, 
it's not firing on all cylinders like Scream 1. It's more just like goofy fun. Yeah, it's not terrible by any means, but the idea, the movies definitely get progressively less scary and less bloody and gory. Yes. And they just kind of get silly. Scream 2 is definitely a step down from Scream 1, and then Scream 3 is almost like not even trying to be scary. I mean, Jay and Silent Bob are in the movie. Yeah, for a second. Yeah, albeit briefly, but sure. So then that was basically the end of the original trilogy, and then what? 11 years later or yeah. something like that they come back with Emma Roberts Scream 4 which had a lot to say in terms of like the references and all that shit. I guess we should mention Williamson wrote Scream 2, he did not write Scream 3. Comes back for 4, but 4 is set back in Woodsboro. Sid, Dewey, and Gale are all in it. By this point Gale and Dewey are married and it introduces us to a whole new group of kids there's sid's cousin jill played by emma roberts and her friends one of which is played by hayden Panettiere, who plays kirby who probably the best character out of the whole series one of them yeah all the new people are pretty fun there's a little bit of a crazy cast again allison brie adam brody yep anthony anderson isn't heather graham back but it's the same footage i think okay okay. stab yeah yeah i'm trying to oh when kristen bell is she one of them? Yeah, those are yeah. just like cameos at the beginning from like other entries in the Stab franchise right, right. and stuff. Wendy Peppercorn herself from The Sandlot yes. is in it. And she lives <laughs> out of all of the people. Yeah, good for Barely her. anyone right. survives and she I think she lives. That was kind of dumb about it how like pretty much everyone died. So all of the new characters that they introduce, it doesn't really tie in with the original trilogy that well other than connecting it to Sid, but the motivations aren't there. There's no connection to the original killers. I get what they were saying, though, about reboots. And, like, they do mention reboots and how, like, this is trying to, like, recapture something. And it's not really the same thing as a sequel, even though it is called Scream 4. But, yeah, you do get invested in the new characters. And you think, like, well, maybe this is setting up for a new batch of movies. with, And it's, like, passing the torch. But then they chicken out, basically. And the only people that survive are Dewey, Gale, and... Sid. Right. Back and you're like, basics. well, okay. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and that was the end. It, it, I thought it was pretty good. I, I think I enjoyed it more at the time. It is fun. I feel like I remember talking to you because we didn't see it together. I thought I remember you sharing with me that you felt disappointed in it. Well, no, because I, I saw it like two or three times in the theater. Okay. And I considered it like the best sequel by far for a while. Yeah. Which isn't saying much because I used to not like two or three like at all. But rewatching it now, I was a little more down on it, I think, because of the lack of character development and like the backstory with these new people and like how there's no connection to the original trilogy. And there's a lot of silliness in it, too, which, again, I mean, obviously the first one, there's a lot of comedy there. But I just think they're hitting the right beats at the right times in the first one that they never really yeah capture exactly right again the seriousness of the first one is gone by two two three yeah. and four the, it's way more on the non-serious side of it and yeah. the kills Almost don't like feel as dramatic parts yeah there was a definite tension in the first one to the kills where yeah, you were absolutely. invested in it and it's kind of gone it's almost like all of the kills in two three and four are like principal Henry and one right where they just sort of feel random yep 
I would have two and four pretty close now. I would say two, maybe slightly edges four, and I would have three as like the worst, but still fun. I did like watching it all together. It helped get me more invested in three that yeah, way. Sure. By watching one and two before it. Right. I think watching three on its own is kind of a tough. <laughs> yeah. You're kind of like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. And Gail Weathers with those bangs. Scream. Five Now, in the works from a lot of the people that brought us Ready or Not, which was the movie with Samara okay, Weaving. Okay, that makes me interested. Williamson is executive producing, but he is not writing the script. It is now scheduled to be released on January 14th, 2022, which I don't know why you would just be like, we're this far away from it and we're going to release it in January. That feels like almost a last resort to have to release something in January. I know. And also basically I, I just feel like you might as well just release a press statement that says we, we are don't not... think this is going to be good. <laughs> yeah. We are not optimistic about this. They have announced some of the cast, mostly people I'm not familiar with, with the exception of Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox and David Arquette. who all right. are All supposedly returning. That's enough for me. Power trio. Don't know what the connection will be to the other movies. There is a little bit of a synopsis on IMDb, but it doesn't reveal much. I'll always see Scream material. There's no way I wouldn't. Yep. I feel the same way about Halloween or whatever. I'm in at this point in my life, even though I'm ready to be disappointed. Very high percent chance that it sucks, but I'm in. Yeah. I do think that it's the right kind of thing, though, where if you do it right, the material allows for some reinvention that could I be agree. cool. Yeah. If you if you come up with the right stuff. They tried it as a TV show. I watched I would say like seventy five percent of season one. Okay, I think it ended good. running f- for three seasons, maybe. All right. They didn't use the ghost face mask in the first season because of the thing with Fun World, but whatever. I think they ended up bringing it in. I know that like Bella Thorne was the girl that was killed in episode one who was like I guess the show's version of Casey. It was okay for a show. Yeah. Horror doesn't really work as well for TV as it does for movies. I think there's a lot of swings and misses at horror TV shows. It just doesn't really do the same. Right. But Agreed. I can't really comment on it. I didn't watch sure. enough to really say. I, I think I only ever saw the first episode, maybe a little bit more. Yeah, I think it's on Netflix, but I, I don't really have any interest in going uh, yeah. back. I don't think I'll be diving in anytime soon. What are you doing? What? what? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. So let's do recommendations for our first entry of Greatest October. Do you have anything? I do have one, and it's actually sort of weird because it was just such a random pick to put on the other night before I watched Scream, and then is referenced in Scream. Okay. Streaming on HBO Max right now, Tom Cruise. Oh, wow. Leah Thompson and Coach, all the right moves. If you pause it at the right time, you can see Tom Cruise's penis. <laughs> <laughs> Is that true? No. I mean, I, well, I don't know. It, it would have to be like a real slow freeze frame. I mean, you see there's a little something going on there. You see some hair, you know. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> so I was trying to freeze frame it and stuff. No. <laughs> um, but I know, you know that the Leah Thompson nudity. Yeah. I mean, she fantastic. looks great in it. But I also just like production value that you just don't see in movies anymore. 
just it came out in 83 it has a very 70s feel to it yeah and i mean like this western pa shitty johnstown i love isn't it called like ampipe yeah i know so it's like it, combining like ambridge and something else around yeah here. but i think it was filmed like almost all in johnstown yeah, but I mean, it's like right. set in the Western PA yeah, steel towns absolutely. and all this shit. Um, it's like out of the furnace. <laughs> <laughs> but I love the the production value of it. The I have a Blu-ray, an extra Blu-ray you could take. Okay, I'll take I've it. I've tried. I don't know where it is. You've tried to like give it away to other people. And they no, I tried to it. give it to yeah. you before. And I think you just forgot it. Oh, okay, yeah. Remember, yeah. I told you I accidentally bought it twice. Okay, <laughs> I'll take that tonight. <laughs> people are but, like, um, "What? I just what love is he talking about." Also. That a movie, like, the scope of it is so shockingly small. <laughs> like, yeah. But I love that about it. Like, it just doesn't feel like they would make a movie like that now. My recommendation is a movie from 2018 that I just rewatched the other day. And originally I was considering the possibility of us doing an audio commentary, which I know we don't really do a lot of on this show anymore, but... Yeah, I was not pitching the idea man. to you of like bringing them back in the future. Yeah, always an eye roll when we have that conversation. Yeah. And this was like a maybe on that list. And then I rewatched it and I was like, what am I talking about? I want to like dive into this movie because it's so good. And I think we saw this together in the theater and I think we underappreciated it. Okay. And I'm going to like hold it up for you. The 4K Ultra. Whoa. <laughs> we should just never <laughs> say what I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm talking about widows i also put it on after we saw I, I didn't watch all of it but i did put it on on a plane and revisited some of it i rewatched it the other day and was just like totally engrossed in it talking about widows directed by steve mcqueen written by mcqueen with gillian flynn who wrote gone girl and all that stuff based on a 1980 something miniseries that i think oh, was wow in i don't even think i i knew that ever yeah, the th- I don't know why McQueen was like obsessed with making this into a movie because the miniseries has like I don't know like a pretty low score on IMDb. Okay. I don't think it's like that well regarded. All right, I think it's an English thing though, and McQueen is English. It might be a book as well. I'm not sure. It might actually be a book too. They definitely threw a lot into this movie. The it- cast is insane. Yeah, yeah. Viola Davis. Michelle Rodriguez, Elizabeth Debicki. Do you know how tall she is, by the way? Super tall. 6'3". So, I mean, she towers She's over the other characters. taller than me. Yeah. <laughs> that's, like, it's, it's intimidating, really. Yeah, I'd say so. Certainly for me. That's She's like a, a total smoke show. She's going to be playing Princess Diana in The Crown, I think. We both kind of took a shining to her in gatsby and i felt like she kind of didn't really do much well she's like only 30 now yeah i know i think pretty young 22 or something yeah cynthia revo colin farrell robert duvall daniel kaluuya that's right from get out is in it crazy cast it's a crime movie a heist movie don't want to give away too much but i would recommend checking out you can rent it on streaming. I think it's on Cinemax. Okay. I don't, I don't know how many of our listeners have that, but you can watch it on there or get the Blu-ray or, or 4K Ultra, which I have. I just enjoyed it a lot. I would like to talk about it on the show sometime, okay. so that maybe sometime next year or something. Look forward to that. So we're talking All the Right Moves and Widows. Hopefully for the rest of this crazy Greatest October, we'll do horror recommendations if we think of it. Yep. We'll try to mix that in. Nine Greatest October episodes. This is the first one. Buckle up. They're not all going to be this long. 
but I think all of the choices are pretty cool. I think this was a perfect lead-off, though. Yeah. I love this movie. It was a movie that was like so big for people going to high school around the time I Absolutely. was in high school. And yeah. probably earlier than me, too. Right. But huge movie. Thanks for listening. Follow the show on Twitter, at Greatest Pod. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean. That's it right now. <laughs> Nothing else. We're not branching out any nope. further. We're keeping this show amongst friends. <laughs> <laughs> We're going for a small audience. Give us a rating and review. Hopefully, we'll all get excited. We don't really have much now in a COVID world. No. So, we're really blowing out the Halloween season. Yeah. This could be our last one. Don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> what, what will we have? Then? No, I'm kidding. Nothing. I, listen, I'm ready. Like I said before the show, I mean, I'm ready to go on, you know, forever. Yep. All right. We'll talk to you soon.
There's no referee, guys. There's a kid. There's a referee. He's over towards our kid. One, two, three. What? 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 The? Did, what? What is? Did David Arquette just? What's going on here? David Arquette won the world title. David Arquette won the world title. He can't believe it. David he can't Arquette believe won it. the world title. Did David Arquette just win the world title? Did I see that? David Arquette just—he got the belt. David Arquette's the world. David Arquette's the world. I, I'm going to say it again because I don't believe it. David Arquette is the world champion. Never in my life has Bobby the Brain Heenan been speechless. I don't know what the hell to say. One of the most startling, one of the most disappointing, disheartening events in the history of our sport. The darkest moment in the history of our sport. Two hours and a set the standard in our sport. One week away removed from one of the most blatant attacks in the history of our sport. It's going to be the biggest battleground in the history of our sport. The biggest match in pro wrestling history. The two biggest superstars in our sport in the biggest event this sport has ever seen. The biggest match in the history of our sport. Six days away from the biggest night this sport has ever seen. Two biggest stars in the history of professional wrestling in what will go down as the grandest night ever. professional wrestling history as the biggest night in the history of this great organization. In what will 